Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and you are listening to episode 88 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, hit the little thumbs up button on YouTube, subscribe to that as well. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, joining me today is my good friend and co Steve Cook. Steve, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm doing wonderful and fantastic and all of those things. That sounds pretty good, right? Sure. I mean, that is good to hear. I know, you're, uh, I know you were excited. You were watching some college basketball tonight. That always makes you happy. Sure. I mean, it makes me happy most of the time. Louisville's having a pretty good year this year, so it's been going all right for the most part. Apparently, it kind of worked out well this week because they decided to start their game at 9 o'clock for uh, network, you know, for ESPN2 reasons and whatnot. So I didn't watch most of the first half where they were completely terrible, but I saw a second half where they they were good better and took the lead and won. So, hey, worked out pretty well for me. Well, I mean that's that's good. I'm, gl- I'm glad that good timing. Well thank you, for, thank you to NXT and AEW for making sure I did not have to watch the first half. There you go. <laughs> and I, I know the only thing that makes you happier than Louisville basketball doing well is obviously the return of the XFL this weekend, Steve. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. You know, oh gosh, I've been telling people for uh, ever since this thing was announced, pretty much, and since they and that, you know. As much as I watched the, uh, what was it, the AAF, is that right? Yeah. Is that what that was? The Alliance of American Football? Yep. I watched uh, zero minutes of that, and I will watch zero minutes of the XFL. You're a horrible person, uh, Steve. How could you do that to Vince McMahon? A spring professional football doesn't work. I'm sorry. We've seen this time and time and time and time again. I don't know why they keep, why they keep going that well. I'm sorry. I just don't understand. I don't see it. I'm not saying it's going to work, but I will probably watch it as background noise while I do other stuff. I watch the AAF. Fuck, I watch Canadian football when they toss it up on ESPN at various times. I just, I like having football on. I don't always watch it closely, but I do like having it on. And uh, I mean, I don't expect it to be any good. I don't expect it to particularly do well um, after the first week. I'm sure they'll get the first week curiosity ratings. I think live attendance is probably going to be utter shit. And I mean, who knows how the hell long this version of the XFL will last? But it is, it is ironic though that if you look back 19 years ago this week, Raw was talking about the XFL being five days away from debut. You know what, man? I think we just need to get you into another sport. I mean, uh, gosh, I mean, hockey. You don't play, you don't care about the Penguins or anything like that. Well, I watch or... hockey, but I mean, I mean, Ho- if, if they're not on, Mason hockey, um... Mason basketball, or something. Man, yeah, I've never been big into basketball, Steve. You gotta be hard up for entertainment if you're sitting over here watching, you know, third tier football. Well, again, understand, I'm probably not really gonna watch it so much as it's gonna be my background noise because I have too much other shit to do. Hey, listen to some music. I mean, I don't know. I do that a lot. Like some docking or something. I mean, hell, I may actually sleep this weekend because God knows I haven't slept like all this week. I've had New Japan well, shows, nice. and there you go. I uh, got fucking uh, WWE financials tomorrow, and, uh, which well, is probably going to be really interesting, actually. So, quick tangent, quick tangent. I'm just going to throw us off the rails already because I noticed that you were up early doing a New Japan show. Anything interesting on today's show? Oh uh, yeah, they've had a a good run of uh, they're they're doing the Road Two shows now, which. For back of a, lack of a better phrase, they're kind of like the setup shows to the bigger shows. 
and they have a big show this weekend. It was a, it was another good show this morning. A lot of good wrestling. They're working in um, another new young lion, uh, Gabriel Kidd, uh, who was a UK wrestler who had a lot of experience actually, and mm. decided to go to the New Japan Dojo. He's working out of the LA Dojo right now. And uh, basically, you know, when you go into the dojo like that, despite the fact that he's an experienced worker, uh, you get stripped all the way down to the bare bones. You kind of start over again. And he, um, he black tights, black boots. Right? Yeah, but he's yep. um, he's gotten into great shape. He's had good matches so far with the, that he's worked. Um, so that was fun. Um, this basic undercard tag stuff, setting up the bigger matches on. Um, Sunday, uh, a lot of good to very good stuff. Uh, just you know, good good pairings and everything. All the matches make sense. I mean, I, I don't really ask for a lot. I mean, as long as the matches aren't bad, I get good matches, and they all have a point to set everything up. I'm good, and that's basically what these shows are. They're they're far from must see shows, but they've been good shows with a purpose. All right, so. Yeah, big show on Sunday in Osaka, and after we're done, I'll actually have a preview of that show that I pre-recorded earlier, so everybody nice. can listen to that. But uh, yeah, so I was watching New Japan, I was doing my, my deal this morning, I have another one tomorrow morning. Uh, never wait six-man titles are on the line in the morning, so we'll see what happens there. Possible title change could happen, wouldn't rule it out. So I'm going to ask the dumb, you know, the dumb question, sure. because I don't, I, I'm not as up to speed on this stuff as everybody else is. When is Moxley fighting Suzuki? When's that, that going is down? Sunday. Is, that, is that Sunday? That's oh shit. Sunday. Okay. Okay, I need to see that then. That's why yeah. I want to see that. Definitely want to see that. Yes, I am very excited for that, especially after the interaction they had um on the last two shows last weekend. Just they went fucking nuts trying to kill each other and it it's so great. And Moxley's still getting the bad eye too. Yeah, and I I love the fact that he was wearing the eye patch in Japan, still <laughs> keeping that go. And I just it's little things like that I always like in wrestling. You know, it, it doesn't take much to keep those little things going. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I like the little things that Moxley had on tonight's show that we'll be talking about a little bit later on. That I I thought uh, played really well into the storyline. I agree. Um, so before we get into our show reviews, we have a little quick news and notes. Steve, I know you don't care about Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia, but Mm-mm. Goldberg is coming back on Friday, and apparently he's going to announce his involvement in Super Showdown. I know you don't care about Super Showdown, but do you care at all about Goldberg making another return? No. That's oh. a flat no. All right. That is just a flat no. Goldberg's been here. He's He's been there. He's done that. Um the last match of his, I saw. I saw enough to do the botch column, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that Undertaker shit show. So I can see why he'd want to come back to try to do one more match to have it be better than that. And then he had a, he had the thing with Dolph Ziggler too, which uh, you know was what it was. It's just, yeah, I, I'm kind of done with that whole Goldberg thing. I'm sorry. I know. I know Mark Rodlich. Shout out to Rodlich if he's listening. I know he's all about Goldberg winning the Universal Title and all that. That no. I'm not about that noise. No. F that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. I, I pretty much figure it's going to be one of three things. He's either going to do the Taker rematch to try to erase that memory of the match where they almost killed each other. <laughs> um, or they're going to fucking put him in there with, like, King Corbin. Uh, which, of course. hey, as long as it's a minute and he kills Corbin, <laughs> that'd be great. And I, I honestly could see them trying to book him. You know, I could see him throwing a million dollars at old Whisker Biscuit and having him a uh, job to the fiend. 
<sighs> None of it yeah. sounds really good to me. I mean, uh, I'll accept him killing Corbin in a minute, but I'm not excited really about the other two things. But yeah, well, Prince, the Prince like it, likes it. That's what matters. That's right. So Billy's coming back for a Saudi payday and a good gig if you can get it. Absolutely. Uh, w- They're not paying me off, so fuck them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> WWE announced on the WWE Backstage Show and later confirmed through press releases and stuff that they have officially signed Killer Cross and Timothy Thatcher and both have reported to the Performance Center, Steve. Killer Cross finally got his uh, release papers from Impact after all the drama he had with them. And apparently it's like really deep drama going on with all that bullshit, a lot of non-disclosure <laughs> stuff going on. Uh, Timothy Thatcher is a guy that... Uh, I know Triple H, Regal, and Canyon Seaman were all really high on when he was working Evolve because he's he has a size, good shape, but he's not a stereotypical WWE worker stylistically. Um, he's probably going to be a guy that I would imagine being in NXT UK more than regular NXT because he can do the the easy alliance with uh, Walter and his old uh, ring comp um, fellas there in Imperium and stuff like that, but. Uh, what are you thinking of these uh, new signings? You know, I, uh, I I read a tweet about this, and I kind of felt the same way. Isn't it kind of unsettling where you see these pictures of these guys, you know, when, when they make their big signing, and they all they all look completely generic, and then they all have their property of the Performance Center T-shirt on? Isn't that kind of, it's a little unsettling, I think. Don't you, don't you, it bothers a lot of like, people, I know. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's kind of weird kind of weird but i guess triple h probably gets off on it because triple h wants to own the entire uh, pro wrestling business he wants to own every single professional wrestler that's out there and these are two more guys to add to that list of uh people they really wanted to have um uh, thatcher's a good talent i see him do some th- i see him do some stuff um like you said he'll probably be big in the uk brand which you know we'll see them once in a while and somebody will watch it Killer Cross, I got to tell you, I've heard a lot about Killer Cross, but he is big on things that I don't really have access to most of the time. Like when he was big on Impact, I was not able to watch that show. And um, yeah, he he did a lot of AAA stuff, but not AAA stuff I saw. So I'm not as familiar with the guy as you know you, you might think. So uh, people say things. I mean, I've heard some good things about him. I've heard some mediocre things about him. I've heard some interesting thing about, things about him from a backstage perspective. So uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, th- I think they're very good signings. They're going to be, I th- again, I think Thatcher's UK bound, uh, Killer Cross and Scarlet. The big rumor on the internet is they're going to debut at TakeOver Portland. Uh, him and uh, Scarlet are going to be paired on TV since they're a couple. And um, we're going to see what happens there. Um, but also, it's uh, you joked about the Triple H saying it is another strategic strike against the independent wrestling scene. Mm-hmm. Because you, you take Thatcher away from the UK scene as well as MLW where he was working semi-regularly. Um, Cross had just hit the indie scene and now he, you know, he went to MLW and basically told them, yeah, I'm going to work the one taping. <laughs> and so, I mean, everybody kind of knew what was up there, and it was speculated for a while he was going to WWE. Um, yeah, they're taking more pieces off the board that uh, other people, you know, you can't have the toys. We want all the toys. That's right. That seems to be their whole mo nowadays. Which uh, I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm personally not a huge fan of it. I can see why some people love it because they think that all these guys are going to be so wonderfully used and we'll see them all the time. They won't just sit in the performance center forever and ever. That's really never going to happen. Stop thinking that. And they'll probably get paid, so that's nice. I I don't... It's tough. Uh, since we don't get to see bank statements and bank accounts all the time, it's tough to see how... I mean, we, we don't know whether they make more money just sitting in the Performance Center or working the Indies. It's, it's tough for us to know that. And it's probably different results for different people, too. Like, some guys can make a killing on the Indies, and some guys can't. Well, here's the other thing with these two guys I will say to keep in mind. First of all, I mean... If it's what they want, I'm very happy for them. If they're going to get paid well, I'm happy for them. Um, in WWE, how they're going to be used, I mean, Cross is supposed to be fast-tracked to TV in some form, likely NXT TV. But um, the thing is, is they're going to work out in the Performance Center. They're going to work like the Coconut Loop in Florida, so they're not going to work a ton of shows. They're not going to be getting beat up. They'll be paid well. And if that's what they want, that's good. Both guys, I think that both guys are in their mid to later 30s. So, mm. I mean, you got to go ahead and make some money. There's mileage on the bodies. I, I have nothing against it for them if that's what they want. But if you listen to, like, Sean Waltman's latest show, and he, he has some really great insights. He visits the Performance Center a lot. He, he, he's always talking about the people that are impressing him at the Performance Center. The people that are working hard, the people that are watching just a ton of tape, people that are watching everything. Like he he was talking about on one show, like he had gone, um, he went back into a room to talk with some of the guys because they had agreed to have like a little talk because a bunch of guys had questions for him. Mm. And like a bunch of the guys were watching the New Japan show from earlier in the morning and they thought they were to get in trouble for it. And Sean's like, no. He's, he's like, listen, he goes, you should be watching as much shit as you want. He goes, and, and he told them, don't just watch the shit you like. He's like, you kind of have to watch everything. He's like, because you're never going to learn unless you watch everything. He's like, there's nothing wrong with watching everything. But he also went on another point, and this is something we talked about, that there's also a large percentage of talent in NXT that have been there for a long time that haven't really improved, that have never made TV, maybe outside of an enhancement role, and he thinks the herd needs to end. Because yeah. he, he said, he goes, you're basically just stockpiling bodies at this point. That's a fair point, and uh, I gotta tell you, NXT, tonight's NXT, we saw one or two, whether those bodies have been stockpiled for a long period of time, to be honest with you. And uh, to to hop back on the whole argument where, you know, Thatcher and Cross are made in their mid to late 30s, it's kind of ironic how some of these guys uh, kind of show up in NXT later on in their careers. I was just kind of thinking about this when I was, I was, I was you know, I was watching SmackDown YouTube. I saw Nakamura losing the IC title of Braun Strowman. Of course, Nakamura is a great example of that. But then you have a guy like Sami Zayn. So remember back when Sami Zayn was one of the best pro wrestlers in the world a few years back? I vaguely remember this. Yeah, he was he was having just top-notch matches everywhere. It was all over the indie scene. He was working all across the world doing just crazy stuff. And uh, now he's in WWE, and he finally made, he got to NXT, made the main roster. And now he's just kind of hurt all the time and collecting a paycheck. So on one hand, it's kind of like God bless him, right? Yeah, I, it's, like I a, really, it's like a pension plan, pretty much, isn't it, for Sammy at this point? I really wonder what's going on with him, because he has been healthy, he has worked some live events. I'm wondering if this was, the, like, the company's call, 
or if this was maybe his idea. Because again, if it's his idea and he wants to be a manager and he doesn't want to take bumps and he wants to collect the check, who the fuck am I to judge? Especially after he had both of his shoulders operated on. Yeah. And he, he's done more than enough. Let's let's get that straight. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is I look at it like this. They're not going to fucking do anything with him as a wrestler anyway. No. No, they're not. So if my man can fucking run his mouth and dance like a wacky fool when Nakamura comes out and collect a, a, a tasty check, good for Sammy. Do I miss awesome Sammy Zang in the ring? You're goddamn right I do. But again, they're not going to do anything with this fucking guy. So I just, I'd like to find out, like, maybe when he's done, maybe he, he does a shoot interview or whatever, or he just does an interview, pops on the Jericho podcast, and someone asks him, like, hey, when you turned into a manager, whose idea was that? You know, was <laughs> it a, Vince came up to him and said, I got a good idea for you, pal. Or was it Sammy going, you know, I'm really sick of getting my fucking ass beat and ran over by Braun Strowman and these fuckers yeah. every night and ripping my shoulder I could see apart? That being a, I could see that getting pretty annoying. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, if it's his call, good. And if it's not his call and he's happy with it, still good for him. Because he's not getting his ass beat and he's collecting a check. I mean, again, I do miss Sammy. But, I mean, I don't know all the details, so I'm not going to judge the situation. You know what I mean? No, I, Wait, I, I get you. And it's funny f- how things turn out, you know. It's like, you know, kind of, kind of some of these guys, they reach their peak uh, outside of the wide eye of WWE. And yeah. once they get there, it seems like they're kind of, you know used up a little bit i still laugh at everybody that used to get mad at me when i explained to everybody that nakamura's wwe run was going to be a retirement plan yep and i got mocked for that and the thing was and again i I said this back then it started at the end of his new japan run (laughs) i remember hearing about him taking it easy on a lot of shows back then well he was taking it easy on like those road two shows and those multi-man tags he he'd uh tag in hit a fucking bombier and powder and like he was done but <laughs> i mean he was beat down the style was getting more physical and more intense he couldn't keep up as well he could still have great matches don't get me wrong but he saw the writing on the wall he was already the number three guy behind okada and tanahashi and at that point naito was starting to pass him anyway yeah so it's like he knew what his role was. WWE came along with a sweet payday. He had always wanted to move to America. He loves to fucking serve. Good on him. I mean, hey, if you can lock in a retirement plan and he's still working, he's hanging out with his friends and shit like that, I think that that's awesome. I actually have a great Nakamura story. There was a Carl Anderson did an interview. Was talking about his uh, early days over in Japan. And uh, he had just worked a show and afterwards Nakamura wanted to go out to dinner with him. And Nakamura was like, oh, we go to, and he, I forget what the name of the place was, and Carl was like, he basically knew he didn't have any money and couldn't pay, so he was trying to get out of it without disrespecting Nakamura. And Nakamura was like, no, no, come on, come on. So Nakamura drags him to an ATM, and Carl Anderson puts his card in and does a balance check, and the good brother has like 14 bucks. <laughs> Sounds about right. So Nakamura looked at him because this was early in his New Japan run where he didn't start making the money yet and he was, wasn't making money in the U.S., obviously, as the machine that gun. That bullet club merch money didn't come in quite yeah. yet. So I, as Carl tells the story, Nakamura just looked at him, put his hand on his shoulder, and says, I take care. <laughs> and then according to Carl, Nakamura, who he barely knew at this point, fucking bought him meals for the next six months. Hmm. 
And he was talking about, he's like, he's like, that was a good brother. He's like, he didn't know me. He didn't owe me anything yet. We had only worked together once or twice. He said, I take care. And he fucking took care of me for six months. And that's a cool fucking story. Yeah. Good people. So again, Nakamura. And again, I I don't judge Nakamura, man. If that's what he wanted, he's getting paid. He did everything he wanted to in Japan. And it goes back to a lot of things. Like we, you and I talked about Daniel Bryan back in the day when he was a he was a quote unquote sellout for signing with WWE after he had beat the fuck out of himself on the Indies and had a portfolio of matches like second to none. Yeah. And the guy just wanted paid. And you know what? Fuck off for anybody that judged him. He got paid. He had a great run. He met his wife. He has a beautiful daughter. He has another one on the way, or another child on the way. I mean, he hey. Brian's so living a good, pretty yeah. well for him, yeah. yeah. He's living a good life, so. And again, I understand that people were upset because they want their favorites where their favorites delivered. But we all know at the rate Brian was working, at the style he was working, he wasn't going to last very long. No, he wasn't. We got a lot bit. more out of Brian than we probably ever should have. <laughs> and, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Have I been very disenchanted since his return because of the lack of good things they've done with him for the most part? Yeah. Would I have loved to see Brian travel around and work Arena Mexico and do some Japan dates and some other things? Hell yes. But the guy's happy, and again, that's all that matters to me. And we don't know the specifics, too. And the case of Tim Thatcher and uh, Killer Cross, too. I mean, who's to say that uh, if they kept doing this indie thing that they would have... Uh found all these other great things to do. I think may they probably hit the wall as far as things they can do outside that duty. Exactly. So I don't, I don't fully judge unless I know the full situation and I don't, but my bottom line is if it's happy and what they want, I'm happy for them. Steve, I know you're a big fan of the NWA power show. I know you watch the show. Sure. I have a question for you. Yeah. You've watched this show since the beginning. I think after the pay-per-view and after last night's show, this is an important question to ask. Has Thunder Rosa been the best and most consistent in-ring performer for the company so far? Mm. As far as in-ring performer, I yeah, think... Not, not uh, talking promos, in-ring right, right, we're not talking promos. We got some, got some good promos on that roster. But as far as in-ring performers, Cal? Yeah, I think I... I don't think I disagree with that. I, I think she had she had the best match on that pay-per-view with uh, Allison K. They had one of the better TV matches that's been on power so far this week. Yeah. Um, all of her short squash matches have been, like, she's looked like a star in every single one of them. Um, great performances. And I just think, and you can tell by that crowd, they're not going to be able to keep her heel long. That babyface turn is coming because that crowd loves her. That they do. That they do. It's so, good stuff. Yeah. So again, and I, I enjoy it. And I think, again, I wanted to classify in ring wise because obviously you look at promos. You have guys like Eli Drake doing really good promos, Eddie yeah. Kingston, the Pope, doing really good. Oh, Kingston killed it. Oh, uh, yeah. Tuesday night. Man, um, that's crazy. Another guy that should have made fucking millions of dollars by now. Like, uh-huh. like Alex Shelley for different reasons, but like Alex Shelley. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, like, you have that tier of guys, and Kingston is, like, in the bridge between two and one. And then, obviously, up top, we, you know, Tim Storm and Nick Aldis. Yeah. Always delivering. So, you have a ton of great promo work. But, yeah, I think Thunder Rosa, argument can be made, best in-ring performer right now for the NWA. And that's not a shot at anybody. That's just a compliment to the really good work she's done. And she's been given, she's been given some, some more opportunities in the ring as well, too. Exactly. 
So last thing, and obviously we're not going to know until um, tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening here. Um, WWE financials take place Thursday, Steve. We talked about how it appears a lot of things are going to be down. They're going to have to have to answer a lot of questions with Barrios and Wilson's departures. They're going to have to answer what the succession plan is. They're going to have to answer how they're going to fix things. My question to you, if you had to guess, knowing what you know about Vince McMahon and how he likes to make panic moves. Yeah. Will they finally announce the long-rumored tiered WWE network in a panic move to try to quell the uh, naysayers tomorrow? Hmm. Oh, God. I mean, it's tough to say because, I mean, we talked about on the last show where it feels like part of the problem is they've kind of downplayed the network uh, by taking XT off and kind of doing some things there that just makes, you know, we probably figured the network subscriptions will be way down. So, the problem I run into if you're going to have this tiered network thing is. If people are not really buying the network right now, you're going to get them to pay more for it. Well, Even if you offer them more stuff, like if you're going to, oh, we're going to have more progress or, you know, whatever the hell. You know, what, what, I forget all the promotions are in rumored theory, to have on it, there. Progress, yeah. Evolved, ICW, maybe. Evolve, WSW, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, do we really think that people are going to jump on that for $14.99? I just, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, they, they might, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. might be a thing that happens, and maybe by the time this gets posted, it'll be proven wrong, but I don't know. I just, it, it doesn't, I don't see it working. Well, I don't know if it'll necessarily work, but I, I wouldn't rule it out as a Vince Panic move because you look back earlier, or last year, when they did the big Bischoff-Heyman announcement, and that was obviously a deflection move. Look at what we're doing. We're going to fix things with these guys who were really you know, good in the 90s. And they used to be our competition. And they, they, they took us to the mats. And we beat them, but they're still great. And then they, you know, 13 yeah. weeks later, Eric Bischoff was gone. Yeah. <laughs> still waiting for that new podcast. You can talk about so all the delicious food and catering. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and Paul Heyman's stint on Raw, has, has that gone a whole lot better? Well, I mean, I think Paul is doing some good things. I don't think Raw... People keep trying to tell me Raw's a great show. And I think Raw's been better. I think it's largely solid. I liked Raw this week, thought it was actually good. They're trying with guys like Aleister Black and Buddy Murphy, and they're trying some things. And compared to SmackDown, it definitely feels like Raw is trying to make some stars. Like you look at SmackDown and it's you know dog food Jesus and King Corbin and you know all this shit. So <laughs> oh, and let me tell you, people were trying to tell me that fucking dog food segment was great on <laughs> SmackDown because it got great heel heat on Corbin and drew real emotion is what they were trying to tell me. People tell you some weird things. We're going to talk about an angle here, Steve Cook, that got some real emotion here tonight. Yes. So. But uh, that's kind of the quick news and notes roundup. Again, I would not be surprised in a panic move. I'm not thinking it's going to fix anything, but it feels like something Vince would do. Um, We'll see what happens. But uh, that's going to lead us, Steve. We have to talk about AEW Dynamite for February 5th, uh, 2020. Uh, We started off with Le Champion, Chris Jericho, Jake Hagar, Sammy Guevara arriving. 
uh, Jericho and Sammy Hagar or Sammy Sammy Hagar Sammy Guevara Sammy Hagar exactly yes. <laughs> we're, we're doing commentary that, they would make a great tag team they could just be Sammy Hagar <laughs> that would be so, good uh, that I'd led that. that led to our opener which was set up last week uh, in the early attack in the show John Moxley versus Ortiz of the uh, former LAX obviously Santana was at ringside interesting note Steve this was Ortiz's first televised national TV match. He never had one while he was in Impact. He did all really? tag. He did all tags yeah. and trios. Santana had a singles match in Impact. Okay, but uh, Ortiz never did. And uh, also, his first singles match from since I believe 2016, uh, Excalibur said. That's what they said. Which yeah, also kind of took me by surprise. I know these guys been a steady tag team for a long time. But you would have thought at some point on some random mini show that somebody would have had these guys working singles matches. Yeah, uh, the, these, these are two guys that were really dedicated to the tag team craft and trying to get better and over as a tag team, which I greatly appreciate in this uh, in this age because not a lot of people do that. And for a guy who had not who hadn't worked any singles matches since 2016, I thought Ortiz did a pretty darn good job here. Yeah, John Moxley obviously uh, beat Ortiz 750 via pin. Steve, overall your thoughts? I thought, like I said, I thought it was a pretty solid match. Moxley has been doing a pretty good job with some of these guys, uh, like Guevara, that's are, you know, like Guevara, like Ortiz, that might not be quite established names or whatever, but he's making them look good, making them look like a million bucks. I thought Ortiz did some good stuff in this match. And, uh, and of course, Moxley was on his game as usual as he has been since coming over here. Just looks like a completely different guy than we've seen in the past few years. He really is. I don't know about you, Steve, but. I kind of mark out every time Ortiz does the little tiger style back rake deal. Yes, I, he did the, fucking, the tiger style back rake. He did the front rake too. I always crack up at that. <laughs> I, I love the tiger style deal. But the announcers weren't too impressed with his uh, with his scratches. And I think Bill Watts would have been pissed off backstage because I didn't see any blood on Moxley from those from the scratches. That's right. Uh, yeah, I thought it was problem. a good action-packed little opener here. Obviously, Moxley winning is the uh, right move because he's facing Jericho. It makes sense him working through members of the inner circle right now. And post-match, we also got an angle where Santana tried to attack him. He got laid out by Death Rider. Moxley then pulled out the car keys to the car Jericho was giving him to try to join inner circle. Obviously, Moxley is not stupid. He kept the car. He pulled out the keys and set him up in his fist, and he fucking stabbed Santana in the eye with him. He keyed the man. That's right. (laughs) So, um, fantastic. John Moxley, nothing to fuck with. He, uh, he is trying to get revenge for losing his eyesight there. Uh, took out Santana, got revenge on Ortiz from the brawl last week. I thought overall a good piece of business to start the show. And he used, he used the car key. That was, that was the topper right there. When you take out something from earlier in the angle and you use that to get the man, that, that's good stuff. Yeah, lots of good little things going on, I think, on both shows. So I always appreciate that stuff. And Jericho is awesome on commentary, too, as, as he always is whenever he chimes in. Yeah, and I, I, I lo- and I also like that it didn't lead to, like, a big brawl. Moxley just bailed afterwards, and they came out and checked on, you know, the, the one-eyed sailor there in the ring, Santana, and, you know. So uh, next up, we had SCU versus The Best Friends with Orange Cassidy at ringside. Uh, SCU defeated The Best Friends 9-15 via pin. Thought they had a good little energetic match. The two teams obviously work well together. They've worked a lot together over the years. I thought they made the most of the time given to them. And uh, the, as we find out later, SCU will get their uh, rematch for the tag titles next week as they've picked up a couple wins following their title loss. 
Yeah, they got the momentum. They got the momentum going. They got they're going again back on track, and with the way things are going with their Megan Page and their uh, disagreements from time to time, we'll see how it works out next week. But uh, yeah, good little match here. But uh, of course, uh, after the match, they ran into some issues. That's right. The Dark Order attacked. They laid out SCU. Orange Cassidy hit the ring. They tried to offer him a Dark Order mask. He refused, so they beat the shit out of him. They knocked his sunglasses off, those sons of bitches. Yeah. Christopher Daniels ran out to make the save, and the Dark Order refused to attack him. They left right away. And obviously, Steve, they're going to eventually reveal who the Exalted One is. Yes. And there are a lot of candidates. Obviously, the uh, the rumored thing was it was going to be Marty Skrull, and that fell through because he stayed with Ring of Honor, and... Got the big and that wouldn't have worked anyway, to be honest. And probably, yeah, I don't think it would make a good choice yeah. myself. So now there is a lot of speculation. You have Luke Harper, who's reportedly coming in in March. Yeah. Um, you have uh, Matt Hardy's contract is reportedly going to be out here at the end of February. And the speculation is that he could appear on the first Dynamite in March. And there's a lot of people that think the broken one could be the... Um, could be the exalted, the exalted one. one, yes. And then there's people that are thinking that this whole angle here is a fucking ruse. Yeah. And because Christopher Daniels has been the fallen fucking angel for like 30 years. And if you all remember, there were rumors that he was going to be the higher power. Yeah. <laughs> back in that angle. Oh my gosh. And maybe it finally comes true for him, Steve. If you had to guess Daniels Harper, Matt Hardy, or someone else... Who would you bank on right now? Could you imagine what it would have been like Christopher Daniels was a higher power back in 1999? Or what? Oh, gosh. That would have... Or 2000. Yeah, that that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> would have been some who-are-you who chance. Who are... Yeah, exactly. But uh, I would like it to be the broken one, Matt Hardy. I think that would be the ideal scenario. I have not been a big fan of the way most of this Dark Order stuff has played out, but I think if Hardy ended up being the exalted one, I think that that would work. It would make sense if kind of uh, just it kind of fit in the whole broken thing he has going on. Daniels would be a fine second choice. I, you know, we, we see him do the dark uh, leader type thing before the prophecy in Ring of Honor, and uh, Luke. I don't really see a Luke Harper. Be honest with you, I don't. I don't really see I that. I don't work. either. The only reason I group him in there is because he is coming in, so I think there's going to be the natural speculation. I can see him being a, a henchman for the group, possibly, but. Uh, yeah, leader. I mean, with all due respect to Luke, he doesn't seem like the doesn't seem like that type. He didn't take those lessons very well from Bray Wyatt. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think obviously people are going to complain if Matt Hardy comes in because oh, it's a WWE retread. I thought they weren't signing all the WWE guys and blah blah blah. But you have to remember, Matt Hardy and the Young Bucks became very close friends. They worked matches on the Indies and Ring of Honor and stuff. There's a history um, there. They never got to complete that history either. Yeah, Matt, Matt and um, Nick have a lot of respect for Matt Hardy. They love the Hardys, um, but they have a lot of respect after working with them. And I also think that they have a lot of respect for his overall creative vision, which when you bring Matt Hardy in, he's probably going to get a lot of creative control with that uh, character if yeah. he's like the exalted one, which I don't think is a bad thing because they can do some fresh stuff with that Dark Order thing with him in the lead. And the other thing, too, is Matt is obviously a good character and a good talker. He can still work. I'm not trying to bag on him for being older, 
But, you know, Matt's not exactly a fresh body. He is beaten up. The other thing is, if he's the exalted one, he doesn't have to wrestle a lot. That's right. You could, he can uh, you be, could even hide him in six-man tags with the evil Uno. Well, and, well the uh, other Steve thing Grayson. is, the, the big thing is, is like, if he's the exalted one, you know, he's, for lack of a better phrase, video game terms, he's the big boss at the end. Yep. So, I mean, you know, maybe, like, you know, if it is Matt Hardy and he's going through all this shit, Daniels has to work his way through the Dark Order and you eventually get a match with him. Uh, I, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, I think you could probably do a lot with the Matt Hardy thing. I thought I think it would probably be fun. Likely the best scenario. I think that's where it's going. But, again, I, I don't have any inside info. I think that's where it's going, though, and it, I think it would make a lot of sense. And, you know, if he... When the night he fucking appears, dude, he is gonna get a massive pop. No doubt, no doubt. It take it would blow the roof off the building. No doubt. So, uh, we got a short promo from MJF where he was talking about uh, tonight's uh, whipping of Cody Rhodes, where he was referencing the walk behind her promo line from Dusty yeah. back in the day. Uh, said he was gonna whip Cody into submission and that he would never be a walk behind her again. How do you feel about uh, Lexi Page there doing the interview there? Uh, she is very talented. <laughs> no, I actually mean that. Indeed. I actually mean that doubly. I actually think she's pretty good at her job. Uh, she feels more natural than a lot of the robots at work in WWE at times. Yeah, but uh, she's also very talented. Well, I mean, she's, good Instagram she, page. And she's got a good. I mean, she got a good gene pool to work with there too. There you go. But uh, nice, nice looking mother. There you go. You know what I'm saying. Good yeah. Instagram page. Yes. Shout that out. Uh, next up, Dr. Britt Baker versus Yuka Sakazaki. Yuka was making her return to AEW. She had worked the pay-per-view back in May, and then she worked the one show over the summer, and then was back in Japan. Yeah, if you uh, remembered that, uh, God bless you. Well, I remember <laughs> it. a lot of because, us were just like, hey, yeah, what the... Well, I remembered yeah. it because I cover it all, but commentary did yeah. mention it as well, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they went three and a half minutes, and Yuka ended up cradling Britt Baker for the win. Which left led to a post match angle where Britt Baker laid her out with the ring bell, made her bite the ropes, kicked her in the back of the fucking head, and knocked out one of her teeth, and then put lockjaw on her as Yuka bled from the mouth. Uh, you know what I always say? What the hell? Use the bell. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love the fact that she was targeting the teeth as well. Great, great gimmick work there. Yeah, I mean the the match was well was I, it, it was fine for two and three okay. and a half minutes. Was, I mean, what do yeah, you want exactly. them to do in that time? I mean, it was you know it was just kind of a setup for the for the post match stuff and uh, the post match stuff worked for me. So yeah. Britt going further down the path of evil, evil right. dentists. And again, like we said last week, the, the last week's stuff was much better with Britt, and I think this was another good step in that direction because that post match angle I thought came across really well. Crazy! I hope they pay that girl extra. Jesus Christ, that's crazy. I don't know, man. I I, I wonder how. I mean, she probably had it like tucked in like a rub or something in the back. I hope she at least had, hopefully she at least gets a free dental work. There you, you go. Know? No, the gimmick should be that Britt Baker offers to do the dental work, but then charges her fucking double. Ooh. that's a heel move right there, brother. Mm, that would be good. <laughs> uh, we moved on to eight man tag team action. I thought this would actually be the main event. I didn't know if they would go with the Cody thing in the main event, but uh. Eight-man tag team action, the Lucha Bros, the Butcher, and the Blade, defeating the Elite. Um, first of all, Adam Page's lower third said Adam Page is not thrilled with this ring music. No, he was the wasn't. Elite music. 
Oh, um, yeah, and his music is a lot better, yeah. so I could see where he's coming from there. But uh, the, the Heels won 1320 via pin. I, I really enjoyed this one. Great all-action tag match. Lucha Bros picking up a much-needed win during this. Um, I did like Paige refusing throughout to tag into Young Bucks, which eventually led to him being pinned. Yeah. Um, I thought that they did a really great job continuing that angle. Good mix of in-ring action and the storytelling within the Elite, which, again, has been really done so far. Along with Jericho and Moxley, some of the best work in the company angle-wise. Really enjoyed the hell out of this, Steve. I think they did some really good work here. Uh, Paige was over when he was running wild at one point. Got the big cowboy shit chant. Um, just a lot of fun. I thought everybody got a little time to shine, too, which was really important, but... On top of really great in-ring action, I thought they they also did a great job of continuing that story that I know we're both really enjoying. Yeah, I mean, Hangman Page is getting he's getting more and over more over and over each every week to the point where if if the plan was to turn Page heel at the end of this, I'm not sure that's quite the right way to go because the people are identifying with him here. They're they're kind of digging his, his whole deal and what's going on. They understand where he's coming from. Where, like, you know, these young buck guys kind of jumping all over his stuff. It's like, what the hell, guys? I mean, I saw a tweet where it's like, well, we apparently Hangman Page became a drunk because he found out that his friends were lame dorks. Which, well, I mean, let's face it, Kenny and the Bucks are kind of lame dorks, right? I mean, sure, you can make <laughs> that's, a fair, that's a fair statement. They're kind of lame dorks. He's so, upset I mean, that Kenny's always fucking around and playing video games and that yeah. Nick and Matt don't drink. So he's, yeah. he's like, fuck off. I'll entertain myself. Damn right. And uh, like you said as well, it's uh, uh, nice for the Lucha Bros to get back on track. Um, I know my buddy Manu Bum was asking me last couple, last week or so, like, I mean, you had Phoenix doing jobs to Joey Janela. It's like, I mean, I know you, you got the Janela over somebody, but you're using Phoenix for that. And it's not like the Lucha Bros have been winning a bunch of matches lately. So you kind of wonder, like, uh, man, what, why, what's AEW's problem with these guys? But they got a win here, so hopefully, so now we know that okay, the AEW doesn't hate these guys. They see something in them that the rest of us see in them. So, and the match is great too. I thought uh, all eight guys did a good job. Uh, the the butcher is just and butcher's such an interesting story, man. Interesting dude. Is there a sp- special reason why? I'm, I was well, waiting for follow up. No, not really. Is it, it just because he's a wrestling butcher? He's a wrestling butcher. He's kind of an older gentleman. He's a he's a guitarist in a band, Larry. I we'll have to look this up at some point. <laughs> I looked it up at one point back in the day. He's actually a guitarist in a rock band. Somebody yeah. will correct me on this, so they'll they'll fill in the story. But that sounds right, actually. He has a hell of a yeah. mustache too. He has a hell of a mustache, nose tattoos. Yeah, I, dangerous looking. I, you're also over with me when you wear a monocle. Yeah, that's always I a mean, positive. You know, and plus, like the bunnies out there with them. So, I mean, that's that's always that always helps. Yeah, everybody's. I think everybody's jumping on the Hangman Page's side on this. Yeah, but again, I I like a lot of the story stuff they're doing here. Again, they're not overly hitting you over the head with it all the time. It's always a ton of small things, and it's always building somewhere. So, I really like it. Good time. Uh, Post match, we had uh, Tony Schiavone interviewing Kenny Omega, and before they could really get started. <laughs> The bastard pack was backstage yeah. being, well, a bastard. Uh, yeah. he, he wants his rematch with Kenny and said uh, Omega doesn't care about Michael Nakazawa and left them for dead. So he was going to go after Riho, who was right there with him. 
Sure. Omega freaked out, agreed to the match, and Pac said, Calm down, Kenny. I may be a bastard, but I'm not a beast. Mm. But so, she is. Yeah, there and you go. And that led to Nyla Rose attacking Riho, powerbombing her onto the table, but ha ha ha! I am the table, it did not break. <laughs> no, they imported a Japanese table for the Japanese table spot. Well, Rio is like 40 pounds, too, well, so let's be honest. I mean, obviously, this is true, but still, I mean, I'm sure Nyla could power her through a regular table. I think it was a Japanese imported table, my friend. Mm, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I guess Pac had been listing all that stuff that Jim Cornette was saying about Kenny or Megan Rio. So I can figure. I guess so, but I thought that that played off well, and Pac is fucking great. He is such a fucking just legit bastard. He is so easy to hate. But I did love that, too, because that was a great setup. You know, I may be a bastard, but I'm not a beast. <laughs> but she is. And I was like, I knew exactly what was happening. I was like, all right, that's, that's good, though. So I guess we'll get, you know, we'll get the Aaron Gender tag at some point, too, maybe. Quite possibly, yeah. Um, so we got a quick Darby Allen video package where he had a stand-up photo of Sammy and Chris Jericho hugging, and he took a flamethrower to it. All hmm. right. Yeah, is he... That could be taken a number of different ways. I think they are. It feels like they're setting up Sammy and Darby for the pay-per-view, though, from the last interaction they had with the skateboard last week. Sure. So, makes sense. I was uh, going to go somewhere cursor with it, but that's all right. Oh, we, we, behave, Steve. <laughs> so, uh, so we had uh, Kip Sabian versus Joey Janela up next. Kip Sabian with Penelope yeah. Ford, obviously. Defeated Joseph Janela at 1130 via pin, Steve. What do you think? They had some time to fill, didn't they? <laughs> well, Cody couldn't get whipped for like 43 minutes. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, they, they, they could. I guess they ran out of other stuff to book, so we got this for a while. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying it's particularly great either. It, it had a hard time holding my attention. Uh, Penelope did a thing here or there, and uh, the finish was nice with uh, Penelope getting knocked off the ring apron and kept grabbing the tights, but... Uh, yeah, this is one of those matches that was just kind of there to me. And unfortunately for Kip, I got to tell you that a lot of Kip's matches are kind of like that for me. And uh, yeah, Joey, he, he Joey's just kind of Joey, to be honest. I, I totally understand that. I, I, this did not rock my world but by any means. I thought it was a good little match. I got 11 and a half minutes. They had a story coming in. I thought they played off of that well. The heel stole the win to keep it going and likely yeah. get a pay-per-view rematch. It's a good little undercard feud, but like like you, it's it's not anything that I'm like, oh shit, Joey Janelle and Kip Sabian's on, you know, <laughs> fucking everybody in the house, shut the fuck up for a minute. No, I mean it's it's it was a good little match. It's it's a good little undercard feud, but it's, I mean, I guess it could be worse. I'm looking at it this way. At least it's just not like a couple of randos thrown together for no reason. At least they're building yeah. a story with it. There's a story, and I will say Joey was over with the uh, Huntsville crowd as well. He's getting some chance, so yeah. good for him there. But no, I, I don't. I don't blame anybody that's kind of like eh, on this feud at all. It's it's there. It exists. It's doing a job. It could be worse. So there you go. And they'll move on to other things, too. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, before this, neither of these guys are doing much of anything. And there's a whole situation where I guess Joey didn't really want to do the feud to begin with. There's yeah, like that's, whole, that's, the, that's the word going around. Yeah, the whole thing where I don't know if he's a little bit bitter about what happened there. But, yeah, I mean, I, not that I could blame him for being a little no, bit bitter about it. Be I mean, a little uh, bitter ever losing she's Penelope. A little, lovely, lovely woman, Let's be honest. Yeah, 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 I could be a little bitter about that, too. But, hey, business is business, man. That's right. 
I'm Talk sure to the exalted one. About Joey that. wants to make some money. So <laughs> we got a Chris Jericho interview backstage and he was fucking ranting and raving about how dare Moxley attack yeah. a defenseless man and take out his eye with a weapon. Yeah, who, how would, dare who would do that sort of thing? Indeed. <laughs> and it was just, it was great. And then Santana was wearing an eye patch from the injury. He was all fucking fired up. Said he had a bad month. Moxley unleashed something new in him. And next week, he's coming for Moxley. It's an eye for an eye. First of all, Jericho, I thought, was just a gr- great delusional and hypocritical fucking heel. Because yeah. he's running Moxley down for doing the exact thing, same thing that he did. Damn right. But Classic. on top of Jericho being really good, I thought Santana was fucking fired up and awesome here as well. He was. He was. I mean, you believed him as a man that was possessed. He'd had a bad month. I don't know if that is made as in reference to his uh, his friend uh, dying back in December, possibly. Probably. I, I don't know exactly what was going on. I know apparently some shit was going on with him this month, but mm. um, I mean, yeah, hey, you know what? Sometimes uh, you never know in that. Uh, you never know in the streets of New York. There's yeah. always shit going on. But the, you you always hear about like a lot of guys channeling shit into their work, man, to try yeah. to get it over. And if that's what it took, my man came off great here. He did. So, and he's I I like Ortiz a lot, and he's really good. I do think Santana is much better in a single setting. Uh, him and Moxley, if they work, obviously the right style coming out of this, potentially be a great TV match next week. Looking forward to that. You know what I like about this whole thing too is now, uh, now I'm able to tell Santana and Ortiz apart. To be honest with you, now now I know which one is which. I can tell you now. Santana. Ortiz has got the big. Ortiz has a big pompo furco yeah, hair. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he got a little name drop on there tonight. That was kind of yeah. cool, actually. Yeah. So um, now I now I know which which guy is which. So good good for me. So doing good. They had a backstage segment where the Bucks were arguing with Adam Page about how he lost their tag match. Matt, well, that was their fault. Matt Let's Jackson looked at him. He said, I know what the problem is. And he took his beer away to give him a reality check. Ugh. But as the Bucks walked away, Adam Page and what I would I would call not only cowboy shit, but a pure Steve Cook move, <laughs> had a pitcher of beer basically hiding behind his back, yeah, pulled it yeah. out and started drinking. Yeah, that's something I would do. Yeah. <laughs> So, again, Adam Page, he's awesome. I definitely agree with you. If the original move was for the Page heel turn, which did feel at the time like it made perfect sense, I think you have to redirect now because you, I mean, you can't turn him heel now. It's working pretty well because we remember, you remember back heading into when he got the title match with Jericho at uh, All Out. The worry was that may they push him a little too soon. And they're... If they push him a little too soon, the people have rejected it. It kind of seemed like for the through the first few episodes of Dynamite, the people weren't quite as crazy about the Hangman. But ever since they started doing this whole angle, their people are digging it. That's right. So next up, they they announced a slate of stuff for the next few weeks. Here, next week we have Omega and Page versus SCU for the tag titles. Moxley versus Santana, as well as Riho defending against Nyla Rose. All set for next week. In two weeks, we have a tag team battle battle royal, which the winner will get a shot at the pay-per-view at the tag titles, as well as the Cody versus the Wardlow cage match. Oh, yeah. And then in three weeks, Steve, we have a big match set up. Kenny Omega versus Pac in a 30-minute Iron Man match. Ooh. I like it. So, um, I, I like not only, not only did we announce shit for next week, we got shit for the next three weeks. 
three weeks. They're working ahead now. And I like that. I always appreciate things like that. I think it's good. I think it's not only part of episodic storytelling, but you, you have to give people a reason to watch your show, especially yep. when there's another wrestling show on directly against you. That's right. So I think that that was a smart call. Um, got that stuff. Looking forward to, I think a lot of that stuff has a chance to be really good. Looking forward to that Kenny and Pac match, though. 30 minute Iron Man match. That'd be good stuff. Dustin had a short promo where he commented on Cody having to take his 10 lashes tonight. Said Cody was tougher than anybody knows and that he was going to take it. And that led to the big Cody and MJF main event segment, The Lashing, Steve. Yes. And MJF and the Wardlow arrive. Cody came out to get his lashes and the gimmick was that he had to survive all 10 lashes or he was not going to get the match with MJF. Makes sense. And yeah, it's part of the whole stipulation gimmick along with not being able to touch him, which again plays into this stipulation really well. Cause MJF knew he could beat the shit out of him. And Cody couldn't touch him. And if he did that, there, there was no match. So I thought that it all worked good. Cody came out, took off his suit jacket and shirt and it was, it was time to get to business. MJF was, they were both great here, but MJF was great because he looks at Cody and he looks at his own belt and he says, you know, my belt is really nice, but it's too nice to use on you. And then he demands <laughs> that Cody gives his own belt to him so that MJF can beat the shit out of a man with his own belt. Mm, that sure. is a great little touch. So they, they fucked around for a little bit. MJF starts whipping them. Cody is obvious. He's, you know, reddening up right away. And people start coming out onto the ramp to watch the butcher, the blade, the bunny, various people. MJF starts whipping him again, dares Cody to hit him, hits him a third time. And this is where he really starts welting up. Arn Anderson comes out, tries to fire up Cody. MJF basically (laughs) tells him to fuck off, says you can't help him. Whips him a fourth time and Cody's down. Yeah. MJF's demand that he quits. Cody refuses. He wants more. A fifth one follows. He drops Cody again. This is when Dustin arrives. He wants to take the rest of the lashes for Cody, but MJF refuses. Said that's not how it works. Get the hell out of my ring. So Dustin, see, there's a precedent for that too, because I've seen these situations arise before where people agree to take the last five lashes. Yeah. <laughs> so Dustin rallies Cody, and MJF hits him a sixth and a seventh time. The Bucks arrive. They're they're trying to rally Cody. MJF says nobody can help him. Cody's selling this so well. And again, I'm sure that this hurts like a motherfucker. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking like facial expressions. He's tearing up. Just <laughs> an MJF on top of it, just being a dick. MJ, MJF hits another one, tells Cody to stays down. But Cody fires up, and this is when the Wardlow gets the strap. Oh. He he gets number nine and he just yeah. fucks Cody's day up. Yeah, he does. I mean, he he wound back into like the <laughs> second row with this fucker. There's a little difference between the Wardlow hitting you and MJF hitting you. Let's be honest. Yeah, let's just be glad that uh, the Wardlow only got one. <laughs> yeah. So MJF is he's he's talking shit. He wants Cody to quit. Brandy arrives. Yeah. She rallies her husband so he can take the tenth one. His friends all, they're rallying him. Cody gets up. He finally takes the 10th one. So he survived. But Steve, MJF is not happy about this at all. No. Because no, he was hoping he would get out of this whole thing. That's right. So 
in his dismay and anger, he low blows Cody and runs for the <laughs> fucking hills. And okay, here's the thing. This is going to be a polarizing segment because I've already seen the reaction online, Steve. Let me give you my thoughts first, and then we'll talk yeah. about this. I think Cody came away is a fucking mega baby face here. The, I think the fans are now dying to see him beat the ever-living shit out of MJF. MJF fucked up their favorite. He kicked them in the balls and ran away. And on top of that, he already cost them the whole world championship thing early on. Yeah. So I think it's effective storytelling. I think it's a compelling TV when you look at it. You add in all the little extras uh, of the extra people coming down to rally for Cody, all his friends trying to help him. His wife even comes out of there snapping out of her stupor of fucking craziness. <laughs> you know, MJF. At least a second, anyway. You know, and MJF is all pissed because he didn't get out of this. He runs for the hills like a fucking coward after low blowing the man. I just think this came off excellent, Steve. That's classic professional wrestling, is what that was. So. The thing so of course, is, I'm sure there's probably some problems with it. Well, here's the thing. I've seen a lot of dismay about this online. People are saying it's a mistake to, quote-unquote, do a capital punishment whipping angle in 2020 during Black History Month in Alabama. Oh. Okay. That's number one. And number two is people were upset that Cody was, quote-unquote, invoking too much Christ-like imagery because he would pop up and put his arms out and take the lashes. Those are two things that did not come to my mind at all, to be honest with you. Now, listen, I I do want to say this. If you were insulted by this, if this TV segment turned you off, I am not going to judge you. That is your personal right. I I can understand it not being for everybody. But like Steve, these things honestly never entered my mind. I looked at this as a professional wrestling angle. It's old school. It's not something you see very often these days. I get why people would maybe not like it. But I also think to a point that it... Okay, this is going to sound really weird maybe comparison-wise... I think it's an example of people looking for something to get upset over, similar to the Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> because the How Super could anybody get upset over a Super Bowl halftime show? My God. The Super Bowl halftime show was Shakira and J-Lo, if you happen to miss it. That's the best piece of business I've ever seen. I've, I've seen the best piece of business I've seen in quite some time, let's be honest. Two, oh. two gorgeous Hispanic women that you would not know are 43 and 50, respectively. Nope. Putting on a hell of a performance. And all I heard was this segment afterwards talking about a, there were this, the outfits were too skimpy. There was too much butt shaking. They actually used the pole dance and all this stuff. And I'm like, I, I never once thought this was a horrible thing. And then I saw things like, how could you let your children watch this? <laughs> well, here's the thing. My wife doesn't watch the Super Bowl unless the Steelers are in it. And, but she does watch the halftime show. <laughs> and we were up watching the halftime show on the big TV. And my wife thought it was awesome. She explained to me that if she looked that good at 43 and 50, that she's going to start wearing those skimpy outfits. So, I mean, exactly. 
I, I'm going to influence this all I can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hey, and, um, <laughs> as we're watching this, my 18 year old thought it was awesome. And, uh, she was extremely excited by it because, um, Shakira and JLo, if you don't understand my daughter, Hannah, let's just say they're in her wheelhouse. So she had a great time watching it. And my eight year old spent the entire halftime Super Bowl show fucking dancing in the living room. <laughs> sure. So, but again, I, I don't want I'm not going to judge anybody. If you didn't like it, I understand if you were insulted. Okay, that's fine. Um, but I do think that some people, there are some people trying to make more of this than it is. I thought, yeah, it, I, I thought it was yeah. a good piece of business, Steve. I enjoyed yeah. it. Uh, and I and I don't think it's even like an ant. I'm not even gonna say, oh, it's just because they don't like AEW or just because they don't like Cody or anything like that. There's just a certain segment of the population that uh, is, that watches any show that just uh, kind of looks for things to be offended by. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can tell you about that. I just I and if you look hard enough, I'm sure, if you look hard enough into anything, you can find things to be offended by. Yeah. But um, when I got done with NXT, I was you know hopping around Twitter for a little bit, and I just I saw all these takes on that, and I was just like, and like you, the first thing I thought was like, never once did that really cross my mind. No. Now no, maybe you could make an argument that it was in bad taste to whip somebody in Alabama in 2020 in Black History Month had it say been Scorpio Sky. Yeah, if it's Scorpio Sky, I think I definitely would have picked up on that and be like, what the fuck. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, right. kind of like Big E taking the fucking blackout curb stomp on Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And back when Rusev first came in and only beat up the black guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> but again, I, I just want people to understand: if you didn't like it, if for some reason it insulted you, I don't want to use the word triggered because I think that's fucking no, pissant no. childish bullshit. No, I, I do think that if you were insulted for some reason, that's every right to you. I'm not going to judge you. I just, I never thought those things during the segment at all. Yeah. It's just not anything across my mind either. So I, you know, I mean, you do you or whatever, but, uh, I do think that sometimes people kind of reach for things to be offended by. And, uh, you know, and and it's not, and I, we have seen Christ like imagery in wrestling before. I mean, we, we saw the Raven crucify the Sandman. Every time Raven fucking posed, and every yeah, time and Tommy Dreamer, Dreamer posed, too. Yeah. Tommy Dreamer fucking ripped it off of Raven and ripped it off of Jesus Christ. You know, so I mean, I mean, we've seen that before in pro wrestling, and I noticed it a lot more during those particular angles than I did during this one. Yeah. So, but uh, I think it's probably going to end up being an interesting talking point over the next few days, and I, I think we'll know if somebody was really, really insulted and offended by this if we start seeing some mainstream news coverage of it because that's how you generally find out. Mm. So, but um, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I again, I thought it was a really great piece of business, man. I thought that's that's how you get heat on a heel, not through doing bullshit king stuff and dog food matches. Yeah. Um, I mean, MJF is a hated son of a bitch right now. People want to see Cody wreck this motherfucker. They were behind him. He was sympathetic. He took the beating. And seriously, on a on a personal note, just judging the angle and everything, just outside of the angle, actually, you have to give Cody Rhodes a ton of fucking credit. Sure. Not only the way he sold it, but I mean, literally taking 10 lashes from another grown adult. Yeah. 
And a giant adult. And a giant adult, too. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, you know, I had the... I gave the shout-out to my girl, Tracy Brooks. You remember back in the day, she took the 10 lashes in TNA. That's right. And she she took them from uh, Peyton Banks slash Rain. She also took that lash from Bobby Roode, too. So, I mean, if, for fuck's sake, you know, there aren't too many people that can identify that sort of thing. It's a non-easy thing to do, folks. That's right. So, I mean, again, um, I'm, I, I have no, no qualms with anybody who didn't like it. I just want that to be straight. But um, I, I do think that there are... Some people, like we kind of said, that looked a little too deep into it, maybe, maybe a little faux outrage, but we'll we'll see. I I just I don't even I wouldn't say it's faux outrage. I think it's just uh, you know just people just well, no, I'm a, just some people are just outraged to be outraged a, a I, lot. I'm saying faux outrage because I saw tweets from people that I follow that talk about how they love old school wrestling and how that nobody does a real heat angle anymore. And everybody's afraid to do a real heat angle, and nobody does an American flag angle anymore, uh, and, and stuff then, like this. Yeah, and, and then, then they do this man. angle tonight, and yeah. those same people are now, all of a sudden, they're insulted. You know, I hate to say it, that sounds like, I hate to say it, it sounds like typical wrestling fan behavior. You like to say you want to see something, but then once you see it, oh boy, oh no, we can't have that. But uh, that wraps up AEW for tonight, Steve. As I pissed all of our listeners off. <laughs> no, but I, I yeah, it, again, I don't know, man. I just, I do think people look a little too deep into some things when they don't have to. But that's going to bring us to NXT, also February 5th, 2020. We started off with the Broserweights arriving to full sale on a custom golf cart. You know what? <laughs> I, I blame myself for this because I did a column for the chair shot. Uh, it was the top five uh, wrestling vehicular entrances in honor, in honor of uh, Shotzi Blackheart's tank. So now on X, everybody's going to come out in some kind of fucking vehicle. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I apologize for this. And now we're going to have a golf cart. We're going to have. Why are you, po- you, you should know, be taking credit for it. Fuck. <laughs> it's the Bruiser Wheel. I don't buy Matt Br- Riddle or Peter Peter Dunn ever playing a game of golf in their life. I'm you sorry. don't have to play golf to drive around in a cool golf cart, man. <laughs> Christ, if well, I had the money, not. I'd be driving around one of my neighborhood just for shits and giggles. Well, maybe not. I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he, he talks about that they were, Riddle says they were celebrating all week. This is the Bruiser Weight Mobile. Dunn said he never expected to be in a team with Riddle, but look at him now. Undisputed Era, Rod, Kyle Riley, and Bobby Fish. They don't acknowledge them as a real team. Kyle wants to fight them now, but Roddy Strong runs out to change their mind. They have bigger fish to fry, said Bobby Fish, and Riddle was amused by this. Joking that Bobby Fish said the word fish, and he asked Pete, how much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish? Matt Riddle was just greatly amused by all of this. He got the crowd to chant a bit. Dunn said that all that matters is they're going to going to smoke the Undisputed Era takeover. Looking forward to that match, obviously. Fine little um, opening segment, which led to more stuff between all these gentlemen later in the show. I got to tell you, though, it kind of sounded like it came from the same writer that gave Roman Reigns suffering succotash. <laughs> it kind of does, but I To be do, honest. It kinda, I mean, maybe Matt Rill is better delivering it. Maybe it fits Matt Rill's character better, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of delivery and the fact that Riddle's character is supposed to be like a slightly out there pothead, I think... Which it, is what he is, yeah. a slightly out there pothead. So, I think it does work, but... 
We got into in-ring action next, Steve Cook. Angel Garza defeating Isaiah Scott 1040. By the way, did you know that, um, you know how Angel Garza was on Raw Monday and he was facing Rey Mysterio? Yeah. Apparently 19 years ago, Hector Garza faced Rey Mysterio in that same building. Hmm. Or same town, at least. So, uh, kind of craziness, like we joked about that XFL thing earlier on. But Angel Garza defeated Isaiah Scott, 1040 via pin. Steve. Angel Garza had a lot of tape on, didn't he? Oh, yeah. He's had shoulder injury problems in the past, so it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> what did you think of our opener here, Steve? It was a fine little professional wrestling match. I mean, you put these two guys out there for 10 minutes, and that's, uh, I think that's about what you expect. Uh, I'm a little surprised they took that cruiserweight title off of uh, Garza so soon, but uh, you know, being guys like Scott, I guess means he'll be back in picture soon enough. Yeah, I think number one, he's going to be back in the picture soon. But number two, I think that you know th- that weekend, I think they found out about the Andrade suspension, and they had the idea to start using him on Raw. It was Elena, so mm-hmm. it made sense yeah. to take the title off him in case he has to lose on Raw at some point. Because you don't, you, in theory, you don't want to devalue the championship. I mean, God knows they fuck around with that shit all the time, but on the main roster, that is. But I mean, you know, I think it's a um, good move to take it off because Jordan Devlin's great. Also, a good move is that they didn't take Zelina Vega off TV. Very much. Because you know, so. sometimes when these people get suspended or injured or whatnot, whoever's with them also gets taken off TV. Yes, that would have been a tragedy. Like, whenever a tag team person gets injured, like their tag team partner gets taken off TV or put on main event or whatever. And unfortunately, uh, Zelina Vegas still has her spot, so good for that. That's right. Uh, I, thought, I thought a really good little opener here. Made Definitely made the best of the time they got. Right man won. Thought Isaiah Scott got some nice time to shine in his loss. He's been really good in pretty much all of his matches on NXT. Um, post-match, uh, Garza took the mic, says he beat Scott, took out Humberto Carrillo on Raw, then took out Mysterio. Said he didn't lose his cruiserweight, cruiserweight title um, officially because it wasn't him that lost. And says nah. he wants it back and he will be watching Jordan Devlin later tonight. Well, there you have it. Undisputed error. We're bullying random people backstage uh, looking for Tommaso Ciampa. Some random dude was getting a haircut and Roddy Strong went and just <laughs> fucked him all up with his hair. It's a weird place to get a haircut, isn't it? Well, you backstage know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, man. I mean, he was... You know, he was busy and, you know, said, hey, they had the haircut guy backstage. And... Yeah, no, yeah, that's a, that's the question. Does WWE provide haircuts for their, for their talent? I'm pretty sure they probably do. They have a haircutter guy. on. Is Brutus Beefcake on staff to cut people's hair? Uh, hopefully not. I don't think that, you know, he wouldn't pass yeah. the wellness test with all the coke. But Yeah, and, he, and let's, yeah, Brutus's haircuts were never particularly outstanding either. That's right. That's, <laughs> usually hack jobs. I mean, as as long as he kept cutting hair, he never got particularly good at it. But uh, yeah, that, that's uh, kind of interesting, though. Uh, you, you wonder about these things. That's right. At least I wonder about these things. Yes, uh, we got a Mercedes Martinez video package. She was going to be in action later in the show, so that's always good. Good little video packages. I always appreciate those. Yeah. And next up, we had Dominic Dijakovic versus Killian Dane. Big Di- boys. Yeah, big boys. Solid Haas battle. Dijakovic won in eight minutes via pin. Um, and it was fine because the whole job was to get Dijakovic another win and solidify him as Keith Lee's takeover challenger, which was made official after the match, and they had a little stare down. So we're getting a six-match takeover here, Steve, because uh, it's a standalone show. I think that's fine. And sure. 
Um, yeah, I mean, definitely a good addition to the card, and obviously we will preview that show next week. Yeah, and uh, the two guys, uh, Lee and Dijakovic, we've seen go at it multiple times, and uh, I don't think it's gotten burned out just yet. No, and they always deliver is the thing, too. So, I mean, I'm not... I think that's obviously a great addition to the card. Um, just, Killian Dane was there. Yeah. Hey, Killian Dane, he's fucking working hard, and he, at least he's, he's fine, being yeah. actually used compared to the main roster, where it's like, hey, here's Sanity. See you in six months. That's and right. And then we're not going to do anything with you. Yeah, enjoy main event. That's right. Fuck, they weren't even really on main event. <laughs> so, Anyway, Undisputed Era, we're looking for Ciampa. They... Um, bullied Kushida and he didn't answer them as uh, quickly as they were light and they ended up like quite literally throwing Kushida in the fucking bin. <laughs> well, at least they didn't put him in the box and sent him to Louisville. Yeah. Bronson Reed <laughs> arrived. Um, they decided they really didn't want an issue with him, but it was a trap because Roderick Strong fucking jacked him with a jumping knee strike and laid him on. There you go. Roddy's a fucking dick. I love it. Yeah. Giving dudes haircuts, throwing knee strikes. <laughs> he doesn't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Unfortunately for Roddy, he got a little come up in Slater in our show. Yes, he did. So, uh, Mar Ronaldo did a split screen interview with Gargano and Balor ahead of their takeover match. Um, yeah, Balor... That wasn't Joe Rogan and uh, two UFC fighters. <laughs> That's right. It was basically what it was. <laughs> yeah. Balor talked about uh, hurting Gargano back at the end of last year. Gargano said he's been counting down the days for three months so he can get his hands on him. And Balor says he's actually wanted this for four years because Johnny Takeover is not worth the hype and that he's not going to be the next Finn Balor. And then Johnny was like, yeah, I'm the first Johnny Gargano, the first Triple Crown winner. Balor said he didn't care if this was, it was a match of the year or not. And, um, let's see here. And, not uh, not as Gargano says that, um, he sees the right Balor in his eyes. He, this is the NXT Balor, not, and I quote, the guy that lost 17 times in a row to Bobby Lashley on raw. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Fucking shots fired by Johnny takeover there. Yeah. Um, somebody's <laughs> keeping track of Finn's win loss record. Johnny hit up cage match, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Balor says um, that Finn is dead, um, but this will be Johnny's last match of his life. Uh, Johnny will drive the NXT flag that Finn left behind through his heart, but Finn says he has no heart. So a good little promo segment here. A little, little slightly questionable verbiage at times. I did like fucking Gargano taking the shot though on the main roster when loss record knows. (laughs) It was fine, yeah. I mean, the cue card. I don't know if they're reading the cue cards or whatever, but uh, you know, it, it did come off better than the typical UFC interview that I've seen before, anyway, where they're usually kind of talking all over each other and well, just kind of. Those come off badly yeah. because of the satellite thinks you have Joe Rogan like, all right, uh, MMA fighter A, you're facing B on Saturday. What's your thoughts? You gotta wait, wait, wait. Well, hey, Joe. Joe, thanks for having me. Um, so I don't know if you know, I'm facing an MMA fighter B on Sunday. It's like, yes, I just uh. asked you that. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would think that they'd have the technology worked out a little better by now. Yeah, I guess it's not a high priority for him. So, uh, next up, we had a uh, women's mass match, Mercedes Martinez versus Casey Catanzaro. Nice to see Casey back. That's right. Short yeah. match, Mercedes Martinez won three minutes via pin. Um, Fine for the time given. Uh, I think Mercedes Martinez is obviously great. 
I think Casey has a ton of potential with her background, good babyface potential with her look and everything. Getting to work on TV with someone like Mercedes Martinez is only going to help her get better as a wrestler and overall performer. So, um, I mean, I thought it was served its purpose, fun for the time given, and um, I'm completely down with Mercedes Martinez being the female Cassius Santa like we talked about when she got signed. Do you think she'll get uh, pushed better in Cash Asano, or you think she'll just kind of be in the uh, kind of the gatekeeper kind of role? You think she might get pushed to the uh, title kind of role? I think definite gatekeeper, but I think that I think that they like her a lot, though, and I do think that they may heat her up for at least a takeover match, if not a title shot, at some point. And we'll see what happens, but I mean, I think they like her a lot because they wouldn't have signed her at this age and, you know, put her in the Rumble and on TV if they didn't. You know what I mean? That's true because, I mean, they, they've signed other women uh, from the independents and uh, not put them on TV <laughs> yeah. and had them being coaches instead of player coaches. So We've seen that before. Yeah. But again, it's a good use of Mercedes Martinez, and having her picking up wins here and there is also good. But again, Casey, women like Casey are going to learn a lot working Mercedes Martinez, which is the most important thing I take yeah, out of this. Absolutely. And you know, Mercedes Martinez, for somebody who has never worked a ton of TV, has a really great TV presence. She does all right. She does all right with it. So, got a quick rear Ripley interview. She was asked about uh, challenging Charlotte. Rhea said that her focus tonight was on her face-off with Bianca Belair, but it's nice that Charlotte or the Queen to show up tonight. Why are they interviewing Rhea before her face-off? Because Kathy Kelly needed TV time, brother. Okay, that's fair. That's right. <laughs> uh, backstage, Undisputed Era, we're still looking for Chiampa. He snuck up behind them, started taking them out. <clears throat> they all attacked. It got down to him and Cole. They brawled. Chiampa slammed his head off the announce table. They ended up all swarming him and beating him down. The Bruiserweights made the save. Angry NXT father William Regal arrived and set up a trios match for later in the show. Holla, holla, holla. I love when William Regal comes out randomly and gets angry because, like, he barely appears, and I love that. I'm not complaining. I mean, William Regal was actually one of the few guys I'm like, you know, I'd be fine if he was on TV a little more because he's so great. But at this, but on the other side of the coin, I do love that NXT has never abused the authority figure thing with him. Yeah, when he comes out, it's for something that's of some importance. Yeah. And to yell war games once a year, because that's always great. Yeah, that's pretty much that's one of the high points of the year. That's right. Uh, Jordan Devlin made his uh, full sale debut here, our Cruiserweight champion, facing off with Tyler Breeze. And our champion won the non-title match, fifteen twenty-five via pin. Steve, what did you think of Jordan Devlin versus Tyler Breeze? Well, I gotta tell you, Larry, when I when I flipped over and saw it, uh, I heard that one of the guys is Tyler Breeze, and I was wondering which guy it was because I don't watch two hundred five live, and I had not seen Tyler Breeze with that uh, that particular hairstyle. There you go. That was different <laughs> to me, anyway. <laughs> I guess he's gotten more serious. I suppose maybe. I don't know, is that what they're doing now? Well, because Fandango's out, and this is like. He really can't do the Fandang, the uh, Brizongo gimmick stuff without him. Yeah, well, which is a shame because that was some, some uh, quality stuff right there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was what you expect from a, a you know a seasoned veteran like Breeze who's been in the before he's been in that system forever against the guy who have people love uh, high hopes for in Jordan Devlin, and they're just kind of they went at it, they went balls to the wall, and uh, 
put on a good piece of business, I thought. Uh, yeah. But Devin looked looked pretty good in his debut, which you want for your your new cruiserweight champion, your guy that you think is going to be a big deal. And who better put him in the ring with than Tyler, Tyler Breeze? Because yeah. that guy does very well at making guys look good. Yeah, Tyler's been really consistent. He's uh, actually made Davari watchable a couple times on 205 Live. Oh, and bullshit. I didn't say it was good. I said made him slightly watchable. <laughs> okay. um, but, um, no, I mean, but he's he's had some good stuff on 205 Live. Had a match with Angel Garza last week. Um, I like Tyler a lot. I think he gets kind of shit on for no reason just because, uh, you know, he's, he's not one of the quote-unquote newer indie guy toys, you know. Yeah. But I think Tyler's a very solid worker. He's really good a lot of times. <clears throat> and he like you said, too, he got a little too much hype. As, I think what hurt him was he got a little too much hype when next he first started breaking out doing the takeovers, and people went calm like the next Shawn Michaels and stuff like that. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and then he I, went to he went to the main roster, and then he wasn't. You know, not well, his fault, I mean, but yeah. one of those things. It was what it was. They fucking killed him on the main roster. They did, yeah. Um, I thought it was really good. A lot of fun match here. Uh, Again, Breeze has been really good since transitioning to his singles and working 205 Live. I think Devlin is great. I'm absolutely thrilled that he's getting a bigger audience to show his stuff off to now because, you know, just the NXT UK, he wasn't always on. And, you know, when he was, he's really good, and he had that excellent takeover match with uh, Tyler Bate and stuff like that. He had the great... Worlds Collide match to win the title. But it's like his best stuff has been outside of WWE and your average NXT viewer is probably not seeing that. Yeah. So um, I'm glad he's getting the chance here to get in front of more eyes. I like him as champion a lot. and Yeah, really enjoyed the match. Uh, that led to our Charlotte, Rhea, and Bianca segment. Big interview segment. Bianca Belair was out first, saying that Rhea must have forgotten that she's facing her in Portland because she got too busy going to Raw. She doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't care about any queen. She wants Rhea right now. Instead, she got Charlotte, who got a pretty big pop, returning to full sail. I want to point out that Charlotte King showed up at the arena in a Chevrolet, and I thought that was a little ridiculous for a flare to show up in that kind of vehicle. Uh, I mean, it's. Times are tight, man. Andrade's on that suspension, maybe not getting paid. She had to I downgrade was, the I rental. I was told the economy's never been better, Larry Zonk. She had to downgrade the <laughs> rental, Steve. I was oh. told that America's been made great again. We got flares driving around in Chevrolets. Like, what the hell? You know, speaking of which, maybe we know who was behind the Andrade suspension now. Oh, boy. Tainted supplements. Putting the oh, wall up, boy. so to speak. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Goodness. Charlotte gets a pretty good reaction coming back here. They seem to be happy to have her back at full sale. Says she respects Bianca, puts her over as an amazing athlete, but says she's not Charlotte. Bianca's That's happy. True. They're, she's not Charlotte. They're talking, but points out that Rhea overlooked her, which obviously the Rhea interrupting. They had some standoff stuff. Uh, Charlotte tries to get involved, and Rhea says she's all about dropping the queen at Mania. Bianca interrupts to tell Charlotte that she doesn't even go here. Damn right she does. <laughs> Rhea's wrong to think she, that she's going to run through Bianca at TakeOver. Bianca says it's going to be her and Charlotte and Mania, and she can't whoop her. Charlotte says it's a conversation for champions, so Bianca should stand to the side and fix her braid. Rhea mm. said she didn't disrespect Charlotte on Raw, so she can't come here and disrespect them. Says uh, her and Bianca will tear each other apart at TakeOver, but that they are NXT. Which led to Bianca um, hitting Charlotte, and then they fucking dropped her on her face with a, like a double electric chair drop. 
Yeah. Um, which I'd like to call the get the fuck out of here, Charlotte. There you go. So Bianca and Rhea then had a face off over the title. Uh, I thought it was a strong segment. Again, you're building to, to the takeover match. You're teasing Charlotte and Rhea, but you're also at the same time teasing a possible triple threat at Mania. Or at least the Charlotte versus Bianca, or at least making yeah. sure. They're trying to make it seem like that's a takeover match isn't a foregone conclusion. Which I think one of the problems I've had with the booking of the Women's Championship in NXT, or the NXT Championship, whatever you want to call it, um, as much as people love the uh, lengthy title reigns of Asuka and Shayna Baszler, I think it took a lot of drama out of title defenses because you never thought these people were going to lose. And uh, for Rhea Ripley's sake, as awesome as she is, I hope it doesn't get to the point where we don't think that Rhea Ripley's not going to lose because that would just take a lot of the drama out of it for me. I think that's a fair point. We will see what happens with her title run here, Steve. Um, if you're putting up, I mean, but they're putting up her up against people like, I mean, Bianca is obviously very talented. She's lost some title matches before, but you can see her catching a pinfall. And I mean, Charlotte Flair, Charlotte Flair, let's be honest. Lady Big Dog. Lady Big Dog. And, you know, a lot of people have a problem with Charlotte winning that Royal Rumble, and I didn't have a problem with it. But, uh, you know, you kind of expect that people like Charlotte Flair win matches like that. And, uh, and I like the fact that she's going after this championship because the one problem I had with her win inside the Royal Rumble was I did not want to see another Becky and Charlotte match. And uh, I don't know, Bailey and Charlotte didn't do, do much for me either. No, and I agreed with you on that. It's, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure like Becky and Charlotte would probably have another potentially great match. But yeah, it'd be a fine match, but who wants to see it? Yeah, it's, I really don't want to go back to it, and I agreed with you. Uh, Char- Charlotte and Bailey just unfortunately didn't work very well together. So I just, yeah, I thought their matches were like okay, but like really flat. And I want a little more than okay out of my title matches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, main event time, the Broserweights and Tommaso Ciampa defeating Undisputed Era, which was Fish O'Reilly and Cole, 1340, via disqualification uh, when Roderick Strong interfused. Uh, oh, interfued. damn Roderick Strong. When you love to sit on the uh, strategy meeting between the Broserweights and Tommaso Ciampa, <laughs> that'd be some interesting stuff. That'd be up there with the uh, the Nick Aldis Roosh um, <laughs> meeting I, I joke about later on in my Free Enterprise preview. That's a... Yes. So, mm. But um, I thought we had a good trio's main event here. Uh, had a hot closing angle that we're going to talk about. I thought the match overall lacked a little bit of fire for me. I was hoping it would get a little more heated. But um, I thought it was a good setup for the takeover because the six guys involved are obviously facing off in title matches. But on top of that, you have to remember, Cole also beat uh, Dunn and Riddle in title matches. And there's also history because Roddy Strong turned on Dunn when he joined Undisputed Era back in the day. So you intertwined a lot of stories here. So I thought the match was good. Before we get to the post-match angle, Steve, what did you think of the match overall? See, the, the, I mean, the thing is, you mentioned how it didn't quite get as heated as you might have liked. And it didn't quite go, it, it didn't quite go to that balls-out kind of takeover level, which I think is a good thing because I think you want to save that kind of thing for the takeover show. I think you want to save some stuff between Chop and Cole and between the Broserweights and uh, Fish and O'Reilly. I think you save that for a takeover. So this is kind of your typical, you know, if you, uh, like, you've like you watched a lot of Lucha Libre as I have, it is kind of your classic six-man uh, Lucha main event, which I was fine with. I had no problem with it. Yeah. And I wasn't so much talking about them going balls out or anything. I just, 
it, it, it kind of lacked, uh, like, a little heat overall, I guess. Um, it, you know, it wasn't, I don't know, it was missing a little something. I mean, obviously, if you amp up the action, that helps a little bit. But, I mean, like, drama-wise a little bit, it just lacked a little for me. But it, it, it was a good main event. I enjoyed it. And, again, I thought it had a bunch of little good stories, which all played into the post-match angle because we got a big brawl, Undisputed Era, started beating the shit out of everybody. Took out Chiampa. They sprayed an X on his back as Adam Cole was looking for revenge from the powerbomb through the X table last week. And then the lights went out, Steve. Yeah. The 2520 gimmick appeared. Animated Velveteen Dream's face appeared on the screen. And when the lights came back on, the Velveteen Dream was back on the top rope. Dove into the ring, took everybody out. Started throwing strikes, super kicks, fucking Dream Valley drivers. He was running wild, posing for the crowd. Started gyrating his hips at Roddy Strong. And then in a nice tribute to Rick Rude, rips off his overpants. And underneath, he has another pair of tights on. And it's the Rick Rude tribute because he has his face and Roddy's wife and Roddy's kid fucking airbrushed onto his tights. Okay, that's what that was. I was I was unsure, quite frankly, as to what was going on with that. Yeah. So he was doing the he was doing the old Rick Rude gimmick. That's right. And that's Bayface move. Okay. <laughs> well, in this right. instance, is undisputed error a bunch of shitheads. <laughs> well, I mean they are, but uh, they, they took him out of action, man. They yeah, robbed uh, us of the Velveteen Dream for months. Well, I, I, I suppose. I suppose. I don't know. No fucking I mean, supposing about it. That's what happened. Well, I, if that's what you say, I, I, that's kind of that is speculation, I believe. <laughs> speculation, Larry Zonka, and uh, no, I mean Velveteen Dream was on point here. He's kicking ass, he's taking names, and he was stripping. He's doing everything you want to see from the Velveteen Dream because that's kind of that's kind of his deal. That's what he does. He's back. He's gonna be kicking somebody's ass. We'll like it. Um, the, the the spray paint gimmick. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I, I'm spray painted out, man. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good play off of last week. I hope it's not something we see every fucking week. Yeah, we, uh, we all need the undisputed errors to the spray paint people every week. I, I wasn't a big fan of that myself. All right. Just well, my, my, just one man's opinion there. Fair enough. Uh, they've been, you know, I mean, I'm sure Shawn Michaels and Triple H told him, you know, hey, spray paint. Cool. Spray paint is over, brother. Yeah, brother. Sean Walton is back there. He's like, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> that worked. All right, so that leads to our overhead head to, overall head-to-head comparison for the week, Steve. I thought, I'll go first. I thought Dynamite, uh, definite improvement over last week. Last week was good, but very flat. Um, I thought um, the show was pretty great overall. Um, basically, again, good, compelling TV, a lot of little stuff going on. I like the continued uh, build the Moxley and Jericho, the elite drama with Adam Page. I thought the closing segment again, as we talked about, just an I thought an excellent piece of business. Again, probably going to be very divisive. I thought NXT also improved from last week. I thought they did a good job. We solidified the takeover card and did more build for that. Both shows had good wrestling. I thought the Charlotte Bianca Rhea segment came off. Really well, and I thought the Velveteen Dream Return came off very well. I thought both shows were really good, leaning towards great. I give AEW the edge this week because I felt that overall, while I gave them the same score, I believe that 
AEW had the match of the night for me, which was that big eight-man tag. I thought that was the best match of the night. And I thought that the uh, the Cody and um, MJF segment was the match of the night. Or the segment of the night overall. And um, but I think both shows, you can't go wrong with either one. I thought everybody did a good job of... Um, you know, we're, we're, we're sowing seeds for feuds. We're continuing feuds. We're building to future shows. Well, I think a lot was accomplished on both shows, though. Yeah, that's a good thing about tonight where a lot of a lot of the stuff, the last stuff that happened on both shows, even the stuff that's kind of throwaway kind of led to angles. They led to things that kind of continue the story. Like, if I didn't, if I didn't care too much for Britt Baker's match, I like what she did after the match. That continued things on, you know. That kind of situation. If I didn't like this, I liked something else that happened as a result of that. Um, I also, I liked AEW better, but I do think that uh, if you're somebody who found the MJF and Cody thing very offensive, then you're probably going to like the Velveteen Dream's return better because who can be offended by Velveteen Dream? Roddy's wife, probably, but other than that. All right, I'm sure Roddy's (laughs) wife might not be too happy about it. I don't know how. I don't know how Roddy's kid feels about it either, but uh, I, 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 I'm with you on the, the AW love. I, I love that that key that key to the eye gimmick was awesome. Uh, you know, you had the you had the dental work by Britt Baker. Just a lot of good stuff I thought on AEW, and uh, I can't complain about anything on NXT except for spray paint, and that's kind of a minor complaint to be honest with you. But uh, yeah. Another solid night of the professional wrestling, a solid night of the college basketball, and uh, yeah, I I have no major complaints, yeah. except for I will complain about. Uh, well, I'm I'm working on a column where I'm complaining about something. It's a this this one's a whole to do. Oh, can't wait for that. I'm sure because a politician decided to say something, and then the wrestling fans decided to say something. I just got to straighten everybody out. That's right. So, Steve, you and I are going to be back on the weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about some uh, some fun stuff. We'll kind of keep it under wraps for now. But we're going to be back on the weekend. And I'll be um, also reviewing some shows on the show this weekend. And uh, that's going to wrap Steve and I up for right now. I'm going to hit some solo audio. And I'm going to preview this weekend's New Japan New Beginning in Osaka, which has Moxley and Suzuki and Naito and Kenta. And also uh, Ryu Lee and Hiromu Takahashi. A lot of potentially great stuff on that show. As well as the ROH Free Enterprise show, which for a regular show looks really good on paper. And for a free show looks fucking great on paper. Free, it's free too. Yeah, so I mean, and I, I, I urge people when I do my preview, honestly, I think if you're somebody that's been disenfranchised with Ring of Honor through like 2019, and I can fully understand that. I think Sunday, it's only going to cost you some time. Uh, 3 p.m. it airs live for free on Honor Club. Check out the Free Enterprise show and um, see what they're doing in 2020 because they've done a lot of good things uh, so far. They have a lot of new names in. and um, I hope the show works out and does what they hope it does for them because I think they're trying to do a make good because they understand what happened last year. And like I, I keep joking about, the Marty Skrull booking philosophy is Hey guys, what if we just stop sucking? And oh, it's working, a nice idea. And it's working well for him so far. <laughs> so, but yeah, until Steve, somebody decides, hey, what's where's Bully raised phone number? No, we don't need that bullshit. <laughs> but, but again, <laughs> hopefully uh, they deleted it. <laughs> that's right. So Steve and I will be back this weekend. Thank you as always, buddy. All right. See you next time, brother.
All right, everybody, we're going to close up with some solo audio tonight. Uh, thanks to Steve, as always. Uh, we have what looks to be a potentially great weekend of action coming up here. New Japan and Ring of Honor shows. And first we're going to start with is New Japan Pro Wrestling, New Beginning in Osaka, closing out this year's New Beginning Tour. Uh, this looks like a really, really strong show on paper. The New Beginning Tour has been very good overall. I've greatly enjoyed it. We start off in our undercard with Nakanishi Tenzon, Kojima, and Yuji Nagata facing off with Makabe, Hanma, Hinari, and Taguchi. Uh, this is part of the collection of final matches for Manabu Nakanishi, who is retiring here at the end of the month. Uh, I think, again, we saw this all coming at the Dome when he took his bow after his pre-show match. And if we're being honest with ourselves, it's time for the big guy. He's had a long career. He's had a, a successful career, excuse me. Um, but he's just, he's getting old. He's getting beaten down. He looks like he's really struggling at times. And God bless him, he's trying. But this is the right time after a very long career. Um, I really hope that since this is his last major show, that much like Liger, he will do the honors here. And I would really love to see Hanare pick up the win here in the match over Nakanishi because they seem like they're really going to be trying with Hanare this year. And he could really use that win. Our next match is stemming out of uh, New Year's Dash. It's for the Junior Heavyweight Championships. Sho and Yo defending against El Desperado and Kanemaru. Um, and the thing is, these two have a good history together. They've worked very well together in the past. Sho and Yo, while they have been successful in terms of winning the Junior Heavyweight Tournaments and um, winning the titles have a really, really bad record when it comes to actually defending the titles. And that's going to be the key here. Um, I really think that they should defend and should retain these titles. I don't want to see them pinballed around a lot. But if they do a title change, I don't think it's absolutely horrible if the plan is to move show into more of a singles role, challenging Shingo for the Never Open Weight title, transitioning yo to a single as well but if you do that you're kind of nuking the junior division so it'll be interesting to see what they uh do here again i still think we should look at a purely open weight tag team division going forward i think 3k will retain here um but i and i think they can have a really good match because they've had really good to great matches in the past they have a long history of working well together there's no reason this should not su succeed Big 8-man tag coming up next. Tanahashi, Ibushi, Juice Robinson, and David Finley versus Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Yujiro Takahashi, and Chase Owens. Now, this match, the whole kind of structure of it changed because originally heading in, the Gorillas of Destiny were the former tag team champions and Finn Juice were the tag team champions. But they pulled a title change in the U.S. and the Gorillas of Destiny won back the titles, which... Kind of doesn't sit great with me because it really feels like that the Tokyo Dome title change was purely just to have a moment. And then they did the title change here to attempt to get a little buzz in the U.S. and to give the Girls of Destiny another quote-unquote accomplishment. I think the match can be good because Yujiro and Chase always work really hard. The Gorillas, um, when they're not completely overbooked, can be really good. Um, Tanahashi and Ibushi are great. Finjuice are a fun tag team. I think that the baby faces will win and that, um, I mean, they were setting up the golden aces going after the tag titles. 
Um, and you also have uh, Finn Juice can go be going for a rematch. I would uh, definitely think that they can do either one here, but I think the faces win. And it actually wouldn't be the worst idea to do Golden Aces versus Finn Juice and then go on to the winner of that for the tag titles against Grills of Destiny. Should be good, though, as long as it's not overbooked. Uh, we stick with tag team action. Okada and Osprey versus Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. This is fallout from night two of the new beginning in Sapporo, where Okada defeated Taichi while Zack defeated Will to retain the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship. Okada and Will have tied together in the past. They're really good together when they do, but Sabre and Taichi are the more regular tag team as part of the Dangerous Techers. On the surface, they clearly have an advantage in that regard and in theory should win. But I kind of think that we're going to go Osprey and Okada here because Osprey has the rematch with um, Sabre coming up on the 14th for the Red Pro title. And I think that they're going to do little things to continue Tai Chi and Okada based on what they've done on the road two shows. I'm going babyface victory here. Next up, another match that they set up at the New Year's Dash. Sonata versus Jay White. Um, Sonata pinned Jay uh, that led to the Bullet Club beatdown of Naito and Sonata back at Dash. Jay then challenged Sonata. And, um, you know, Sonata lost to Zack at the Dome. Jay went 1-1 one one at the Dome, losing to Naito and beating Ibushi. And as long as this isn't horribly overbooked, I do think that the match has a lot of potential. If Sonata wins, it... Uh, it just keeps he and Jay at kind of an even level with neither really ready to move on to anything important. So with that being the case, I think Jay White should take the win here. Especially because Sonata stays the only member with in LIJ without any gold. It opens up more storyline possibilities of him as the weak link. Rumors of a potential split at some point. Rumors of him getting more serious and being pushed this year. We'll see what happens. I think Jay White will take the win. There's unfortunately probably going to be a lot of fuckery in this match. But, unfortunately, that is what it is. It's not a good thing. I don't like it. Gato will be heavily involved. Business is picking up here, though. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Hiromu Takahashi defending against his old rival, Ryuli. While the rich history is there... For this match on several level, levels, you have the past clashes, the, the classic matches, Hiromu being injured by Lee as well. And I'm sure they're going to deliver here, but I think that the one problem I have is I kind of feel that they're really rushing to this match way too soon. I think that they should have built up to it more. I mean, we know Ryu Lee's great, and we know that Hiromu is back, and he looks almost better than ever, really. So, he's ready for this, and I mean, I think that it it's going to deliver. It's probably going to be, excuse me, really great. And you look at the history of excellent matches, the real-life injury, the fact that technically both are in Gobernable. Um, this is a rematch that, um, again, should have been really built up more to on a bigger show, maybe like Dominion. I think they're, they're kind of rushing to it and blowing their wad on it. But we're here, and, and again, I'm sure it's going to be really great. It could be even an excellent match of the year candidate. They have that ability. 
So then I guess we have to look at who wins. I mean, does Lee take back the championship, possibly with the story that Hiromu wasn't ready for him and that maybe Lee was in his head dating back to the injury and already ending Hiromu's miracle return with, like, really premature booking? Or does Hiromu continue the ride to wave of joy and retain? Uh, I think you can make an argument for either way, but I think that Hiromu winning continues that feel-good story and... It you know the loss can open up a deeper story for him, but I really don't think they should go that way at the time. Again, I think it's a little rushed, but I think it's going to deliver. I'm going to go Hiromu to retain, and I definitely think that Robbie Eagles may be up next because he's been booked really strong throughout the whole tour. Plus, he has the win over Hiromu from back at the road to the Tokyo Dome shows. We're to go stylistic change here, very drastic. IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion John Moxley defending against the King of Pro Wrestling Minoru Suzuki. You know, when I sit there and I think about it, excuse me as I sneak in a drink there, when Moxley left WWE, I was thinking of all kind of matches he could have. And on the surface, I thought, you know, a match with Suzuki could be pretty cool. And then Moxley had a really great G1 run, and I thought a match with Suzuki was more possible than ever, and I kind of wanted it. And then after that, they had the epic confrontation at the Dome, and it was at that point that I realized that I really needed this injected into my veins as soon as humanly possible. They had more good interaction on the um, New Beginning Tour. They're just wild. It's brawling. It's I love it. Um, it's just, it's so good. They have a great intensity and I love it. So you have Moxley coming off the two big wins at Wrestle Kingdom. And then, you know, Suzuki is the badass in the room. He comes out to stop him. Basically he wants next Moxley's been great. Suzuki still has a lot of go in his game. And I think we all know that this is going to be wild stiff. It's going to be a chaotic brawl that probably goes everywhere. Moxley has been a boost for the U.S. title, and he's delivered time in and time out. But there is a problem with that, and that is the fact that he's contracted to AEW. There is no working relationship with AEW, which means Moxley is not going to be working New Japan-branded United States shows. And due to that, that eliminates a championship that is supposed to be the highlight of those shows. Moxley is also likely winning the AEW title at the end of February. So I think that they need to get the U.S. title off of him here. Suzuki is a great choice to win the championship. It shows a Japanese talent can and will hold that championship. Suzuki has been proven to move ticket sales in the United States. And there's a story to be told with him winning the championship that Lance Archer, a fellow Suzuki gun member, lost to Moxley. Although that's probably going to mean a lot less now since Archer is apparently AEW bound. But that could lead to more fun with Moxley. The move to Suzuki, in my opinion, just makes sense in this case. Um, I'd be shocked if Moxley retains here. I think this will probably just be a great war. I am highly looking forward to it. I love both guys and I've just I've dug all the stuff they've gotten into on this tour. So it uh, again, really looking forward to this. The main event of the show is the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Champion Tetsuya Naito defending against Kenta. It felt, 
I guess in a way, like it took forever, but at Wrestle Kingdom, Naito did everything his fans have been wanting and waiting for. He won the Wrestle Kingdom main event. He won the IWGP Championship. And more important than that, he beat Okada to accomplish it all. Exercising the ghosts of his Wrestle Kingdom failures and finally getting to that top. And it all appeared to be perfect. Like, things went to plan for once. But again, if you followed the career of Naito, nothing ever comes easy for him. Just as he gets a moment, he was about to have a big celebration with his LIJ brothers. Kenta arrived and just shit all over it. He, he ruined the moment. He beat the hell out of him. He was hated. And he sat on his chest. He might as well have took a dump on the fucker. I loved it. And I know people were like, oh, Naito should have got his moment. Naito got his moment. He won the championship. The celebration is not the important part. Again, if you follow the Naito character, not everything comes easy for him. There's always a success followed by a tragedy. And he's going to get a chance to get revenge now. Um, again, this is more fallout from Wrestle Kingdom and the very well done New Year's Dash event. Um, and it, it makes sense. I think Kenta is a good first challenger. Um, I think the build came off well. I think the heat has been good for this. Um, and it's just the thing that I like how it fits Naito's character. And again, you know, while Naito is obviously not what he used to be in terms of physical stature, for some reason he can still deliver in these big matches. You saw it at Wrestle Kingdom. He, he just delivered. And, I mean, Christ, it seems like you can just tape him up and throw him out there and he delivers. Kenta has shown that at times he can be really, really great still. You know, his shoulder, it feels like it's hanging on with duct tape as well. But he can be really good. But that grace, the greatness from him comes when there is a distinct lack of the Bullet Club bullshit. Very similar to Jay White. The second match with Ishii, the Goto match, some of his G1 work, all succeeded because he was allowed to be Kenta still. Not a Bullet Club bitch relying on cliche heel bullshit. And I know that asking for, for this to be just a great professional wrestling match with no bullshit is asking way too much. I know we're probably going to get a ton of Bullet Club bullshit, and everybody's going to tell me that he's just a heel, that's how it goes. And I'm going to counteract with, it's fucking lazy. You don't have to do it all the time. It sucks. So hopefully we can avoid all that, but if we do get the Bullet Club bullshit, hopefully Naito's LIJ pals aren't dicks this time and hang out in the back and actually help him. I think the bottom line is, this is a potentially great match, if not completely overbooked. It makes sense as a good uh, challenger of the month, basically, for Naito. He can get a big win. There should be a lot of heat for this match because the crowds hate Kenta right now. And in all honesty, if Naito loses here for some reason, incredibly stupid and short-sighted booking. Again, only to give us a moment, which would suck. So hopefully he just retains here. We move on and it'll be, it'll all be good stuff. So that is Sunday's uh, New Japan show in Osaka, The New Beginning. The tour as a whole has been really good in Japan. I haven't seen any of the U.S. Excuse me, the U.S. stuff yet because it hasn't been posted. 
I think they've been off to a hot start this year, and I'm hoping that they can close out this first Japanese tour and deliver once again, because I've really, really enjoyed a lot of what they've done. The other big show taking place on Sunday is Ring of Honor Free Enterprise. And some people are probably going to laugh and say, oh, it's a Ring of Honor Free show. Why is it important? But this is an important show for them because they're trying to gain back the trust of their fans. They're trying to bring back lapsed fans. And they have a lot of damage to undo from 2019. Um, I love Marty's booking philosophy. He took over and said, hey, let's fix all of our mistakes and try not to suck anymore. And I think that while sounding stupid and quite simple, it's a great plan. And I've loved a lot of what Marty has done this year. There looks to be a lot of good stuff on this show. It's I'd call it a great lineup for a free show. And it has a lot of potential. And we're going to start off with Alex Zane facing off with Andrew Everett. Uh, Alex Zane's been working since about 2.05. He created a lot of buzz back in July when a video of him executing a 6.30 centon, putting his opponent through a door um, in Game Changer Wrestling, went viral. He's had some New Japan appearances, worked Ring of Honor. And um, he's a good guy to bring in if you're trying to use some younger talent. Um, I like Andrew Everett. I really hope they use more of him in 2020. He's been a guy that's been drastically underutilized over the last few years when he's been healthy. And someone who I think just needs a fair shot with consistent booking to deliver. So far, he's been really good and consistent in Ring of Honor this year. Um, Zane beat Bandito in his ROH debut, and it looks like if um, they have plans for him, Everett, again, is consistent and a strong veteran. He always delivers for me. He's a great dance partner for Zane, and I think Zane will get the win here, and Everett will probably make him look great. Seemingly 100 months after signing with Ring of Honor, Session Moth Martina is going to make her debut, and uh, she is going to face the newly turned heel Sumi Sakai. I've been torn on Martina for the past couple years. I find her very charismatic, but in the ring, she's been very hit or miss with me at times. Uh, I'm curious to see what she's going to bring to Ring of Honor here after more time in Japan, which has likely helped her a lot. Sumi recently turned heel, and um, people like to mock Sumi for being older and stuff like that, and I've even joked about it, but quite honestly, she's been the most consistent woman in Ring of Honor in terms of actually having quality matches. She recently turned heel. Um, she's done well with it. Normally, I would have her win here, but this is Martina's debut, and if they want to start getting the division back on track, and again, the good news is Jonathan Gresham is going to be booking and training them with the women, so I think it's possible. I really think Martina has to win her debut here. It makes the most sense to me. We have a battle royal for a Ring of Honor championship match. Judging by who's on this card and how the company likes to book these things, I'm I'm hoping for more changes under Marty, though. I kind of see this going one of three directions. Um, Silas Young, because he always plays the reliable veteran card. He works very hard. Rarely has a bad match and has enough badass in him that he's believable. In the past, Cheeseburger would have been the lovable underdog option, but I don't see Marty doing that one. Kenny King, to me, feels like he makes the most sense because he's a member of Lefection and Gobernable. They're feuding with Villain Enterprises and booking him to face PCO for the championship. 
does make sense, despite the fact that I don't think that Kenny is all that good. I don't think he's bad, don't get me wrong, but they've been trying to push him for a star as a star for like what feels like 20 years, and it hasn't worked. Things are picking up here, though, because this next match looks sexy as hell on paper. Mark Haskins versus Alex Shelley, and this looks like a hell of a wrestling match on paper. I am looking forward to this one. Despite uneven booking and a feud with Bully Ray, Mark Haskins has been killing it in Ring of Honor for the past year plus. Uh, he has a great opponent here in Alex Shelley, who is still great. I, I love Alex Shelley, always delivers. At this point, I think it's safe to say that Shelley is an indie legend that should have made it big and made millions instead of people making money off of his stuff. I will say that to the day I die, just along with the fact that Eddie Kingston should have been making millions for being an awesome talker. The combination of injury issues, horrible booking choices, and just bad timing and stupid promotions led to Shelley never having that happen. I mean, he's, he's a hell of a technician, smooth as silk in the ring. He can work with anybody. I think this will fucking roll. Haskins should win because not only is he the full-time talent, he could use the boost of a win over Shelley that he would get before his upcoming title shot in the triple threat later this month. It's simple. It makes the most sense. Hopefully, that's what Marty is sticking with here. Next up, we're to get a little SoCal Lucha action. Brody King and Ray Horus. This is obviously fallout from Villain Enterprises losing the trio's championships to Mexico Blood and Horus. It's a smart and easy match to book coming out of that. And then you add into the fact that stylistically... They're probably going to work really well together because Brody does work that SoCal big man lucha style that he loves. He's a hell of a base for smaller guys. And I think that this one may sneak up on a lot of people quality-wise. Um, it's sneaky good if you know both guys and everything. Um, they just, they've been working hard in the new year. The creative changes took place. Horus has been really good since coming in. I think Brody King kind of has a chip on his shoulder. He's looking to prove himself in 2020 following a lot of injury issues in late 2019. I think they will deliver. I think Brody King picks up the win as they start to tease Villain Enterprises maybe going back after the trio's championships and at least setting up the rematch we all expect. Next up, we have a big debut. Uh, Slex making his debut uh, against Flip Gordon, the mercenary. Slex is one of the newest ROH signings. Uh, he's 33 and from Australia. Been working for 17 years. He gained a lot of fame back in 2017. Uh, he worked a great match with Okada where he more than held up his end of things in MCW. And I think a lot of people expected that he'd get a look from New Japan following that. Or maybe at least some ROH runs. And um, he didn't. It felt like it's taken forever. But... um. You know what? Everybody else's loss looks like it's going to be ROH's gain here. I mean, Slex has a ton of potential, very experienced, and you know he's only 33 still, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of life left in his career. Flip has been a mainstay in ROH, obviously, for the past couple years. Sidetracked by injuries at times, has shown flashes of greatness in the company. He's transitioned well to a heel role within Villain Enterprises. I like his stylistic change, uh, both in terms of him being able to stay healthier this year and also to reflect that heel turn because you can't just be doing 8 million flippity-doos and popping the crowd when you're supposed to be the heel. So while there aren't as many flips and flips game these days, 
He still delivers. Um, he's a good first opponent for Flex. He still does the flash when he has to. Every debut is big, but this one is really huge for Slex. It's his ROH debut, his major Fed debut in the U.S. on a free card where hopefully tons of people are going to watch. He needs to impress here. Um, he's working a really reliable name. I strongly feel he should go over here in his debut. I think it would be a, a foolish move to have him lose. And uh, yes, yeah, Slex should win. Hope it's really good. Hope he delivers. Um, and again, it's it's a really big deal for him. Moving on to tag team action. Joe Hendry and his wacky tag team partner Dalton Castle fa- facing off with Bateman and Balloon Man Vincent. Vincent used to be, of course, Vinny Marseglia. He has turned into the full horror king now, all capitals on his name. He took out Matt Taven when they did the misery spot on Taven's ankle to explain Taven's uh, ankle surgery that was coming up. And he's in the middle of a push right now. They see a lot in Vincent. I like some of the videos and promo stuff he's done. He works hard. He's been better this year than last year. Bateman works well with him as a duo. Um, Dalton and uh, Dalton Castle and Joe Hendry work really well as a tag team. It covers up for Dalton Castle's physical limitations. It's also helped to get Joe Hendry over after a really cold start because U.S. crowds just didn't really know who he was. Like, he'd come out and do his little catchphrase and go, Joe Hendry! And he'd be expecting, you know, so prestigious afterwards, and you'd hear, like, one dude in the background, so prestigious! And it was, like, kind of really sad. So the tag team has actually worked out really well. They work well together as a team. Um, I think Vincent and Bateman will take this one because they are getting the push. And I think you need to keep Vincent strong until Matt Taven returns. Because they're going to revisit that, as they should, uh, following their last match. Next up is a Proving Ground match. Tag Team Champions Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham facing off with the Beefy Hoss team of Jeff Cobb and Dan Moff. Proving Ground match, if Cobb and Moff win or go to a time limit draw, they will earn a Tag Team Championship match. Lethal and Gresham won the championships back at Final Battle, which obviously was the right call following their heel turn. They're a great tag team. The division needed a little freshening up. I mean, the Briscoes are great, but you need to uh, sweeten things up here, change them up, and it worked out well because Lethal and Gresham got over great. Cobb and Maff actually uh, did Hoss Daddy Battle back at Final Battle. Cobb won. They uh, shared each other some respect there. They slapped the shit out of each other, and They've developed into a tremendously fun Haas team. Um, they And they've done it quickly as well. They have a lot of potential. Again, it's a proving ground match. Um, this one has a lot of potential. I like everybody involved. I think it's really strong stuff here. Champions are great. I really think that um, the challengers should win a title shot. I'm not saying they should necessarily pin Lethal and Gresham. I'd be perfectly fine with them working the time limit draw, which is probably 15 minutes. I think it makes sense. You set up more challengers. And um, again, Moff and Cobb are really good. And you need good foils for your tag team champions. And I think that would make for a great match down the line. Speaking of great tag team matches, I am so excited for this one, ladies and gentlemen. The Briscoe Brothers facing off with Mexi Blood, Flamito, and Bandito. I love tag team wrestling from as far back as I can recall. 
goes back to my NWA roots, watching the Rock and Rolls, the Midnights, the Fantastics, the Horsemen, the Sheep Herders, the Road Warriors, and a litany of other teams. Just, just I love tag team wrestling. And obviously, you know, you look at the Briscoes, they're the greatest tag team in ROH history. I think they're an all-time great tag team in terms of work and accomplishment. Uh, granted, they don't have the um, added bonus of being established draws. But in terms of work and what they've accomplished in the business, I call them an all-time great tag team. And they don't get their proper accolades from many because they're, quote-unquote, stuck working in Ring of Honor. Uh, Mexa Blood are, without a doubt, a fucking awesome tag team as well. It's a huge match to give away on a free show. On one hand, you could argue Arwitch could have built to it down the line and put it on a show people could have paid for. But at the same time, you're rebuilding, um, you're in damage control, you're trying to get the trust of your fans back and give them a reward. So I am all for this match on this paper. I think this is the show-stealing match, and I, I'm giving it the certified banger alert. You can make an argument for either team winning. I think that the Briscoes will take this one because they're being rebuilt for a tag title shot. Mexablood are part of the trio's champions. They don't necessarily need the win. But again, if I had to guess, this is going to be the best match on the show. And possibly all weekend, even with the New Japan show. We'll see, because it has um, high-end potential. Main event of the evening is Villain Enterprises of Marty Skrull and PCO defending against Nick Aldis and Roosh. And that is a delightfully wacky tag team. I want to know what the hell those brothers talk about backstage. It's a big tag team main event for the show. You have the ROH champion. You have the former ROH champion. You have the NWA champion. And you have Marty, who's basically the biggest star in Ring of Honor. The match is going to continue PCO and Rouge, probably for a setting up another rematch. But it's also part of the NWA ROH Skrull versus Aldis feud. And, um... I love that ROH and NWA are working together again. I think it's both good for both companies. PCO and Roosh have solid chemistry and have worked together enough that they should be fine. Marty and Nick are really good friends and also work extremely well together. Definitely has potential. I think it's probably going to be more story than great match. Maybe angle heavy. Um, Again, possibly setting up another PCO and Roosh match. And obviously this is the part part of the build to Aldis versus Marty, which is being set up through both promotions. If I had to guess, Marty and and company have been taking a lot of losses lately. I think Marty and PCO will probably pick up the win in this one. Should be a really good match. Looking forward to it. And again, I do really love that um, the the two companies are working together again. I I think it's great. Um, It's just, it makes the most sense because ROH... You can do a lot working with the NWA. Aldis being in is obviously a is a big plus because Nick's a great promo. And it just, it all works. So, I dig it. I think it's great. Um, so, ROH Free Enterprise, Sunday, 3 p.m., airing live and for free on Honor Club. I'll have live coverage of both of these shows this weekend. If you used to be an ROH fan, if you got a little disenfranchised with ROH, if you're not sure if you want to spend money on ROH and I get all of that and the TV product doesn't do a lot to make you want to watch either, I would highly suggest giving this show a chance. There looks to be a lot of really good to great stuff on this card. 
it's free. It's not going to cost you anything but time. And, I mean, maybe this uh, revamped version of ROH, which has been doing a lot of good things so far in 2020, maybe it'll be the turnaround and bring people back. And I don't know if it will or not. And, again, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was really down on ROH in 2019. I was afraid the company was going to be done. There was a lot, a lot of bad things happening. The drop in attendance, the lack of interest, and looking like a ton of people were going to leave. Thankfully, things have turned around, and I, I like that Marty got the book. I think Marty's doing well. So again, I think that if you're we're a little disenfranchised with the company, I think you should give it a chance this weekend. Again, it's only going to cost you time. Two and a half to three hours, it's free. And you might find some stuff that you like, and you may get back into it, and I don't know. It's either going to work or it's not, but I think that they're doing a smart thing trying it. I think the free show concept is a great idea, especially when you have your own streaming service. And it doesn't hurt to try. And they have to try. They have to do things. So that's the preview for the weekend shows. I think the weekend has a lot of potential between New Japan and ROH. Could get a lot of really good to great matches. I'm looking forward to covering both shows. Again, I will have live coverage this weekend on 411mania.com. So please make sure you guys check it out, follow along, and support me. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Steve, as always, for his contributions. This has been episode 88 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Remember, you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media. Hit the thumbs up and subscribe on YouTube. Take us to the pay window. Have a great week, everybody, and I will see you Sunday, and hopefully you will be joining me for coverage of these shows. Thank you very much.